It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Hello, welcome back to a, a very special episode of American Loser. I like to think they're all special. That's just me, but that's because this is my baby. You're not getting grandkids, Dad. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> American uh, Loser is my grandchild? Uh, pretty much so. <laughs> we are, uh, where else could we be other than at a shared universe studio in Eatontown, New Jersey? Behind the ones and twos, he's back, baby. All right. Conspicuously absent in one of the uh, the worst sound quality episodes we've ever had. But he's alive, awake, alert, and enthusiastic right <laughs> now. What's up, guys? Uh, it's good. I'm glad you're back, buddy. It is, it's a better show when you're here. I sincerely feel that way. Oh, thank um, you. And I, I missed a, you guys. A couple, Well, bo- luckily, both my guests are returning guests multiple times here on the show. Uh, always uh, well-received. And uh, they're good because I genuinely like them both as people. <laughs> And then they're both also. That always works. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. only one person we ever that's had on the show I don't like. So. <laughs> um, and then uh, they're both hilarious comics too. So I was actually. Uh, so I'll go ahead and reintroduce them. This episode's going to be weird. Uh, it's technically part two, but we're going to do a brief recap of the episode for the Kahuna because he was not here, and we found out why. You were up partying the night before this episode, and you you missed our session, which we miss you, but shit happens. I'm not. There's no anger about it. We realized it was because. It was the 50th anniversary of Sesame Street, and you were partying all night long. God damn it. (laughs) He did know. (laughs) I was sitting there. I was like, wait, does he actually know what the hell I was doing? I was up in New York. And I, I was with some friends. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> um, you are one of the most charming people I've ever met, buddy. So I'm, I'm glad you're here. So I'm going to reintroduce our guests. Uh, first and foremost, uh, two hilarious stand-up comics. Uh, one of them I was on a show with uh, this week at uh, Westside Comedy Club with uh, Dad. There's a comic named David Tell. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, he's he's been around. Yeah, he's uh, he's relatively knowledgeable. Well, he uh, he used to like me until I introduced him to this next comic. <laughs> who is now his favorite, uh, Lynette Palladino, rejoining the show. Thank you very much for coming back. I appreciate oh, you. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, uh, you guys were both here last week, and I thought it was a good episode. Just we had to you know, tweak the audio a little bit and figure out what we're going to do. But uh, as always, uh, hilarious. Thank you for coming back. Uh, U.S. Ar- uh, National Guard, Army National Guard captain, captain, by the way. Captain. Highest ranking person in the room here. I feel like I have to stand up during this podcast to That's a- stand at attention. <laughs> I mean, uh, I can get the mic set up. It was, uh, it wasn't. Ve- yeah, actually, that would be weird if we just had you stand in the back corner, like uh, <laughs> just chime in whenever we get a date wrong or something just, like that. Just hold the water bottle over your head. <laughs> <laughs> and then also here, uh, you can tell by his accent, he is from Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, yeah, there you go. Get Joy-Z. My, my buddy a, James Mack boy. is back in the building. Thank hey, you for coming back, buddy. Thank you all. So. so. You guys get the show because you guys have both listened to the show, which I appreciate. And you guys give good feedback, too. And then um, so if you haven't listened to the show, this is going to be a weird one. Uh, My Delph of a father is sitting to my right in the studio. Um, And uh, Larry Burke, you get the show, right? You understand what we do here? Once in a while, I get the show. You thought you were done. You retired as a teacher and there's not going to be term papers anymore. We're still doing research. Every week. So um, (laughs) every week we like to cover a weird story from American history. We try to look for the losers in American history. And nobody really thinks of Patton as a loser. 
but his story is pretty wild. Um, there's some there's some low points. There's some high points. So we're going to do a brief recap here for uh, the Big Kahuna. Um, first and foremost, you guys both know a lot about him. Now, yes. How do they feel about him in the army? Is he still revered like nonstop? Uh, it depends on who you ask. If you ask the airborne community, they hate him. So is this on a, okay? I think I know why. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to that story. That's perfect. Okay, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I think there's definitely still a lot of lore around Patton. Yeah, yeah. That's why I, what I think we're going to do here is that there is the myth, which is really cool. Don't get me wrong. Go with the myth. That that's we have a policy on the show. It's called the Liberty Valance policy, which mm-hmm. um, right. You know, print the legend. So <laughs> uh, now we can examine that a little bit, which I think is kind of cool. Um, we started it off. We had uh, we literally wrote this for you, Kahuna, that it was going to be the spot the lie segment that we did, but uh, since we can't do it anymore, we we burned that one on Zapsic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard the I heard the opening that got cut out. He's pretty wild, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was born uh, first of all, uh, California kid. All right, uh, we talked about that one. Born in 1885, and uh, there's a lot of weird shit like. We talked about it. Like I don't know. You guys are both history fans for the most part, right? How did you get into history? Oh my good New Jersey public school education. There you go. It's uh, yep. Yeah, see that uh, now the problem is that uh, New Jersey schools are so expensive because you have to pay my father's uh, overabundant retirement. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Just living in the lap of luxury. Here. Yeah, and uh, and then James, you got into it just out of growing up or what? Um, yeah. So that that was one of the big things is that uh, my dad would take us and wherever we were living at the time, like I said, which is the Branch Davidian, correct? Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, um, but wherever we were, were living at the time, like I said, my dad was military, so we would go. Like when we lived in eastern North Carolina, we went up to Bath where, you know, Blackbeard worked out of, and we would go to all of that. We, you know, newer North Carolina where there's still a standing colonial governor's house or Kill Devil Hills. And, you know, or when we lived in Georgia, we would go through historical Savannah, and my dad was real big about, you know, you need to know the real history, not just what you're being taught in school. That is true, because there's uh, depending on uh, which side of the argument uh, the, the presenter is on, they kind of bastardize history a little bit. So yeah. we're going to try to do a, a middle ground here if we can. Um, LP, we talked about lineage on this one. Now, I'm your adopted son, so we have no idea, right? There's nothing. I can't even donate blood. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, Patton, I thought was cool. He is a descendant of the uh, Glamorgan. Uh, cl- like that, they're not really a clan, but it's like uh, this line of the Welsh. Yeah, warrior clan. I warrior guess type of. You got yeah. something for me, Jim? Um, so I actually looked that up because I don't like being ignorant about stuff. So essentially, what it was <laughs> is it started out as a form of knighthood, um, but kind of that. Uh, but they were essentially, uh, uh, from everything I could find, almost like mercenary fighters that for uh, light cavalry. So they were the no ones shit. who inc- created light cavalry instead of the heavy cavalry that the British used and the Germans used. See, that's wild, man. There's, um, and we talked about another famous American uh, when we were doing uh, our episode about uh, how the Polish cavalry got uh, yep. adopted by the Americans. Kind of a cool story with that. And we just rewarded that guy with a, a bridge. Um, but cool stuff about Patton. I just want to do, we're doing this brief recap here. What do you know off the top of your head about Patton, Cahoons? Nothing. Nothing? Absolutely nothing. All right. He not is, that I uh, remember. Not even, even from the movie? You didn't even see the movie? True story. I haven't seen the movie, actually. What? Um, yeah. Wait, what movie? Patton. Patton. No, yeah, no. 
No, I haven't seen uh, it. Now, here's George an idea. Scott? I was George expecting like some long-winded movie title, and you're all just like, you haven't seen the movie? What's the movie called? Patton. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. No, I haven't seen it. I think it would be great if they were to do um, a, a remake of uh, Patton, uh, but with puppets. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> I got go. this. Just picture the slapping incident that we're going to cover with puppets. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So uh, Patton, when he was young, young man, first of all, he believed in reincarnation. He was big on that. Um, and he had uh, there was an American history, uh, a, a tradition in his family, if you will, of uh, dying in battle. They're kind of good at that. Yeah. So uh, growing up, he had uh, literally his great uh, his grandfather his step grandfather was a, a Confederate general, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, when the family wound up uh, out in California, whatever, he had this long lineage his entire life. He's been, he knew what he wanted to do right away. All right. It was like the first time you saw Grover. On a screen, Kahuna, you were just like, "This is my calling." So. <laughs> we're just gonna keep going back to the Sesame Street references, it's, huh? Because well, yeah. you you could have, if they just put on football instead of Sesame Street, you we would all be cheering for you at Meadowlands <laughs> right now. Um, <laughs> but instead, go. it was you know because Kahuna's not a guy you want to mess with. Then you realize he's one of the nicest guys around. But um, he's intimidating until he opens his mouth. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Patton winds up, but he knows what he wants to do. He gets into. West Point, uh, which uh, difficult school. Do you guys like the officers from West Point or is it kind of like because we had the ones mm -hmm. if you were a Naval Academy graduate uh, on the ship with us, we kind of we knew that you had a you, you were legit. Yeah, we, we called them ring knockers because they would always wear their ring and like, well, based on my experience, which is nothing, <laughs> that thing doesn't even have tarnish on it yet. So. Well, considering this I got a good. screenshot from my old roommate the last time I was in Iraq and she's a West Pointer. I'm going to say yes. I like West Pointers. Uh, I mean, it's like any any commissioning source. There are going to be people you love and people you hate. Yeah. I mean, I've had some good ones. Like, yeah. My first I like that it started. Awesome. Uh, it started very diplomatic because like, uh, you know <laughs> Mac went in on him at first, and then you scaled it back a little. And he goes, you know, they're not that bad actually. Now that I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, so here's my biggest frustration with all of the commissioning sources. I mean, American taxpayers are going to spend half a million dollars for you to go through school, and a lot of them come out really ungrateful. <laughs> Yeah. really ungrateful for and those who don't know commissioning is when you become an officer in the military so uh, all of us here are enlisted and then uh, of course Paladino uh, smartest person in the room highest ranking person in the room no not that's a, <laughs> uh, listen we, we know how you live your life it's uh, you know you didn't I'm, I'm borderline homeless Mac looks like he hangs out at the same you know soup kitchens I do you guys uh, just need to marry well <laughs> maybe that is your smartest quality on that one um, but continue I didn't want to cut you off here so the commissioning sort they come out ungrateful I do. I, I that's just my biggest. I mean, the attrition rate after that first initial five year obligation, it, it's unbelievable. It's more than 60 percent of them leave no the military shit. altogether. So yeah. and in that that's a world class education you're getting, whether it's at Annapolis, whether it's at West Point. It's really it's phenomenal. And you don't have to worry about a damn thing. Yep. You just you just go be a cadet. Yeah, they're kind of cool that way. I thought about it until report cards came out. Um, <laughs> that was kind of a game changer. Yeah, it was like, ah, math is going to be important, isn't it? Um, no, one of the things you were saying, like he went to West Point, don't forget he did his uh, his first freshman year at VMI. Yes, where his uh, he had a family lineage over there, yep. too, so that was kind of cool. So uh, solid military background already going into this thing. Now he gets over into West Point, and um, you would think he'd be a good student, Kahuna. He's not. 
He's on the five-year plan. Uh, he's the Tommy boy of, uh, oh, <laughs> of West Point, okay. if you will. Um, Which, by the way, I found out because I asked uh, one of my former uh, commanders about that. They do not do a five-year plan anymore. If It's four or out. Right? Oh, shit. Yeah. That's a, isn't it weird, though, that the one exception is considered to be one of the greatest generals in American history? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, we don't want another one of those on our hands. Um, kind of interesting, though. He had... Um, what like th- there's an age I think you hit where you start to you there's a like a transition where you the person that you are and then the person you want to become and there's this weird in between where you have to fake it until people start treating you the way that you want to be perceived you know mm. um, so Patton has that and his he starts practicing a mean scowl in the face like there's still hope for you Cahoons we could have you you could make special teams for the Jets if we plan this the right way <laughs> he could probably you know. walk on right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> they see me like you're hired <laughs> yeah it's a the best part of being a jets and giants fan right now is that uh, you only have to watch the first 10 minutes of the nfl draft to find out what we did because we're terrible um but uh well, so at least you know yeah it's it's about acknowledging now here's the thing i liked is that in this reinvention of pat he's practicing a war face okay um and then he decides he's going to be captain badass okay so that's like um you know, I'm a pretty friendly guy or whatever, but if I started like pretending I was a hard ass and like showing, I'd get like a neck tattoo to try to look cooler or something. Um, but I can never pull that off because then I just smile and everybody's like, this kid's, uh, I'm like a dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just want to put my head on your lap and go to sleep. That's it. You know, I don't care whose lap, but I just, you know, I just want to be warm. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he goes into full on machismo. Am I using that word correctly? Yes. Okay. See, we're lucky. We actually have Paladino in the room now. So when we hit some of these Spanish names in a little bit, we actually can get it correct. Because, uh, listen, it's, uh, it's, when it's just me and my father, it's just uh, two it's Irish just a guys. Butchering. Yeah, right. two it's Irish right. guys it's from Jersey. So like, bad. it Guess starts with an X. <laughs> this yeah. word started, but it's a J. Why is it an H sound? Um, <laughs> so Patton becomes Captain Badass. He's starting to try to. He's not really popular at first, and then he gets through West Point. And um, this I thought was uh, worth mentioning. Uh, also, Olympic athlete. Did you know that, Kahuna? Patton? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Legit. Uh, I think it was what five different Fifth, events that he yeah. pentathlon. pentathlon. Yeah. yeah. So pentathlon. So he actually competed. It was uh, in Sweden. Okay. And uh, it's kind of weird because when you look at Patton, there there is like a little bit. I know there's some myth that we're going to break down a little bit, but there is the savior thing that if we didn't have him over in Europe, you know, things might not have gone our way. Yeah. And uh, so it's very weird how he has a little grudge with the Swedes because uh, for a guy who's in the military, he actually finished. Uh, uh, his worst event was uh, shooting. So, um, Kuhn, have you ever fired a gun? No. Kuhn is sitting like, do I got warrants out for that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need to go shooting. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun, actually. We, we should do something like that. There um, you go. It's uh, an American loser outing. <laughs> On location. And <laughs> so, most of the times when you do these shooting competitions, they shoot at 22. Very low recoil. And because Patton is old big dick Will, you know, um, <laughs> he decides he's going to shoot a 38 instead. So, he uh, is firing this 38 pistol. Now, the problem is it's a bigger uh, caliber. So, uh, what he maintains is that he shot very well, but the bullet holes were too big. So he was hitting the same spots too often. So kind of like Robin Hood when he splits the arrow in twide. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's it. Now the, the, 
Swedish, um, you know, uh, judges are telling him, "Nah, dude, you missed the target entirely on a couple of these shots." So he finished. So if he had had the shots, uh, if he had fired a twenty-two, they would have been able to judge that more properly. And you said they actually changed that, right, Mac? Um, well, they didn't change. Uh, well, now everybody uses twenty-two regardless. But um, what they've changed now is whenever you're doing the shooting, they mark where you hit. Right. So no, they would have caught that now. Yeah. If he had gotten that, he actually would have gotten a, uh, I believe it was a gold medal, right? He would have finished, or at least as a medalist. He would have been, yeah. a, he would have been a finalist, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he would have been he, a medalist, so, yeah. Olympic medalist, General Patton. So uh, kind of wild here. He, yeah, but he did so well that uh, he was also going to go, go back to the Olympics for, for a second, uh, you know, four years later. But <laughs> a little thing called World War One that kind of got in the way of the Olympics being held again in uh, in 16. So yeah, it's uh, he was in the Olympics in 1912 and placed fifth when he was scheduled to go back again in uh, 16. But again, you know, World War One got in the way. But. He was that good. I do like, um, I'm looking over at your research while uh, we're doing this. Uh, Patton is such a colorful character um, because he does have all this formal education, but he kind of, I'm a Navy guy, so I'm going to say he curses like a sailor. All right. mm. So I just pictured that's part of his badass persona is just him sitting there just uh, cursing to himself, muttering as he walks around. So, um, <laughs> And on the paper that I'm looking at, it half of the words are censored. <laughs> when we go to the quotes for well, him. We'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. Uh, it's pretty great. But it's also part of his persona that you were just talking about that, you know, he's kind of reinventing himself. He's he's like six foot two, so he is tall, but he's rather thin and he doesn't have this real low gravelly booming voice i mean in the movie pat and it was george c scott who had a, yeah. a deep bass voice and a very commanding voice he wasn't he wasn't in reality that um but he would accent or accentuate his uh his speeches with choice curse words and he'd be up there with uh with uh the pearl handled um or the ivory handled uh Colts at his side with a riding crop, and he would be smacking his own uh, leather boot with the riding crop to it. He's like know. maybe two or three degrees off from looking like a dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> so now, because um, obviously, have you ever had one of your soldiers come see you do comedy? Yes. You have? And how does that go over? Uh, so I actually got a chance to perform on my last deployment when they brought in one of the uh, Armed Forces Entertainment Tours. It was probably Mark Riccadonna. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, I didn't know any of them, but I, I did. I mean, I came to know them by the end, but they were like, oh, are you a comic? Do you want to do time? And so I did time, um, and I was terrified that the next morning I was going to wake up and find out I was a private. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 200 of my soldiers saw me, or 200 of the soldiers on camp saw me. So for the next week at the at the dining facility, facility defac the chow hall uh i was having people walk up to me like ma'am uh was that you the other night because you always seem so uh like and what they didn't want to say is you look like a bitch, ma'am so we were surprised you're funny <laughs> um no, I can't vouch. Very funny. Um, but uh, I always thought it was interesting. I did um, – my cousin Megan, um, who's awesome, had uh, a fundraiser for her school, for her youngest kid's school. And uh, kid's name is Danny. I'm a big fan of him. We call him Danny A. And he was in, I guess, elementary school, and they wanted to do a fundraiser for the parents. They said, oh, uh, she goes, I know a comedian we can book. 
So the worst gig I've ever done in my entire life. I, I tried getting out. I kept telling the guys, like, dude, this isn't going to work. There's people dancing right now. You can't shut down dancing and drinking and then start a comedy show. It's not going to go over good. And the guy's like, well, let's give it a shot. Brings us out there. I bombed my – and the worst part is it was there was pageantry involved. They walked me on stage uh, with two Vegas showgirls. Yeah, dressed as Vegas. And they, they walked me in and presented like, and KP. And then I just ate shit. And because my cousin Megan is a saint, she pulled a chair up into the middle of the dance floor and tried to like create an audience for it. And it's just her and her one friend. <laughs> <laughs> the, entire, the entire rest of the room is just staring. Like, what the? They're talking through us, too. That That's the worst. Part. And so I remember ending my set just looking at Megan and saying, I hope Danny likes his new school next year. <laughs> Yeah, but are there pictures of this? Uh, it is. Uh, Wait, are there pictures of this LP? Uh, More than uh, likely, and Megan is a big picture taker. So she, uh, yeah, on that, not on that. We do have evidence of that. Uh, my buddy Joe Carney was on that gig with me. It's our, it's our bonded nightmare. We both have PTSD from that. Um, so now uh, back to Pat here. This reinvention works. People start to buy into him a little bit, especially when you're the Olympic athlete. Now that kind of gets you a little bit more street cred. Uh, and before this, a lot of self-loathing. Okay, this guy, he Pat probably could have been a comedian i think you know he he yeah. hated himself um so he went from thinking that he was going to have a fledgling military career to then starting to uh, figure things out here he gets his commission you come in as a second lieutenant i have that correct mm -hmm. yeah we call him ensigns in the navy i know we covered that on the potential first episode <laughs> um but he gets assigned to the branch that he becomes uh, the master of uh the cavalry Correct. Which I thought was pretty cool because this is undergoing a big change around this time. Yep. They're, they're retiring the horses. And matter of fact, uh, uh, one of the other things was he was the commanding officer for the retiring of the last horses for the cavalry. Oh, that's before they become uh, food, right? Um, glue. Glue. That's glue. Yeah. <laughs> well, glue, food. You fertilizer. Can, there's a lot you can do with a horse. Um, yeah. But uh, question for you guys. What is the modern state? Because now it's mostly air cavalry, correct? Um, it depends. So with uh, cavalry, um, you can have air cav, you can have mechanized because you have the uh, the troop carriers that cavalry runs. And then you also have the scouts, which are essentially reconnaissance for infantry. See, that would have been the gig I probably would have wanted if I was in. That's okay. Anytime I said what I wanted to do, everybody in the Navy just looks at me and goes, no, you don't. <laughs> I also okay. turned down a $30,000 signing bonus to uh, avoid going to the nuclear uh, uh, management school. Yeah. yeah, that's another Power regret school. of mine. Yeah. And, um, uh, oh, and also you have the striker brigades with uh, third armored calf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're pretty kick ass here, but none of this stuff is really in effect right now. So it's like you said, Mac was kind of pointing out, they're moving from horses into uh, the mechanized end of warfare, right, LP? And, yeah, mechanized. I mean, we had automobile. You got to remember the time, the timeline here that, you know, we're pre World War One. So just to have automobiles, just to have roads was a pretty big thing, too. You know, it'd be nice to have a road to drive your car down. And that was one of the earlier stumbling blocks to the whole automobile industry in the United States is you better have a road that you can make, it's going to be able to navigate um, what we were calling roads back then, which was pretty much just dirt lanes. And it's uh, it's wild, too, to think about this, because I always like that. This is kind of, um, what is it, necessity is the mother of invention? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we sit there and we're like, this is an amazing new capability we have. How do we kill people with it? Mm -hmm. It's kind of our instant go-to thing, which I think is pretty cool. So uh, Patton winds up getting involved in uh, something we covered on another episode here known as the Pancho Villa Expedition. Yep. Okay, and he um, he's involved with that one. Now, who's he assigned to, uh, LP? Uh, um, Blackjack Pershing. Yes, General Black, another badass in his own right. Mm -hmm. uh, 
him and Patton don't exactly hit like you know eye to eye when they first meet. You know, uh, he winds up earning his respect though because as we covered on the again, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do with the first episode of this one. So I might just leave it up there and then we'll go with uh, I'll, I'll promote this one a little better if that makes any sense. Um, he gets involved with uh, the Pancho Villa expedition. They're going out. We're fine. Um, they go after uh, the bandit king of Mexico. All right. This guy has this very weird. Listen to that episode if you want to hear his backstory. But Patton's involved with it. Uh, gets into a gunfight. The first big action that he sees. And uh, he actually kills uh, three guys or is rumored. To, he definitely wounded them. But, uh, you know, it's it's confirmed that he wounded them. He may have, you know, there may have been other shooters involved. But they shoot three of these bandits. And they actually, uh, I thought it was kind of badass. Um, Patton then just lays the three bandits over his vehicle on the hood of the vehicle and drives it back into camp where then, uh, you know, Blackjack Pershing kind of, you know, and his men realize, oh, by the way, the guy you just killed is um, pretty much Pancho Villa's right-hand man, his personal bodyguard, uh, General Cardenas, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not racism. I just want accuracy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it's got the tilde, it's going to be Cardenas. See, I don't even know what that means. Um, The squiggly on the end. Yeah, I thought that was a person's name. Um, (laughs) Tilda threw me for a a line there. Um, But yeah, they wind up killing this guy, and uh, Patton's all of a sudden he's starting to get uh, uh, his badass reputation is building and building. Now he's got, uh, we talked about earlier, his weird style of uh, uniform. Hit me, Mac. Um, One thing I wanted to add in here, and it kind of leads him through his career, is he actually got into a pretty big argument with General Pershing because he was like, no, let me take my mechanized troops or let me take the automobiles deeper into Mexico. I'll get rid of him for you. Once again, it's him saying, hey, I have the people. I'm bad enough. Let me go do this. And then his higher command going, no, that's not what we're here for. That is worth noting. And as we talked about. Put, to put it into a timeline again now, too, actually, it's uh, it's Patton who is credited with the uh, the first motorized attack in the history of American warfare. Yep. And that's 1916. So, I mean, yeah. uh, this is when he's going after these uh, these uh, Mexican bandits, really, that uh, Pancho Villa's meant. So, uh, 1916. And, you know, we were talking about how the latest technology is morphed into a better way of killing people. I mean, it's the same thing with uh, with the air war, that you had these guys, the Wright brothers, that barely flew 100 yards at Kitty Hawk in, yep. with, a, with a wind, you know, helping them. And that's, what, 1907, I think. And then uh, by 1914, 1915, now we're flying in the air and we're dropping bombs on people. So, I mean, it's like it's I said, a, cool toy. How yeah, do we kill people with really. it? Um, so that is another – that's all good stuff here. And uh, we're kind of rushing a little bit of the recap because uh, we do want to get to the, the the bread and butter of this whole story. But um, I thought it was worth noting that he started hanging out in uh, Texas um, with some of the local gunfighters. All right. And this is where Patton picks up uh, his pieces of flair, we're going to call it. <laughs> <laughs> right. His bling. So he starts seeing that the local cowboys are carrying their gun cowboy style, right? That They, they carry their guns in their belts. And uh, Patton's got a, a – a automatic pistol that he is now also carrying in his belt, uh, which looks pretty cool, Kahuna, until he almost blows his dick off one night. Yeah. Kahuna, quick question for you. Ever blow your dick off with an automatic pistol? Oh, <laughs> that's a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, it could not have looked good for a guy who's trying to tell everybody he's a big badass. Have you seen the movie Eight Mile? 
Um, yes, correct. Cheddar. Uh, Cheddar Bob, when he tries to put the gun in his pants to hide it, and he ends up just shooting himself. That's, a, the, that's the first thing that popped into my head. I was like, oh no. Uh, Fucking Cheddar Bob. Lynette and I will probably agree. Black yep, I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> he ruined a, another Super Bowl for us with one pair of sweatpants. Um, so uh, now he moves on and transitions from there, uh, not because he blew his dick off, um, but he takes this, uh, he moves on from the, the pistol and he starts carrying a revolver okay a badass revolver and he gets uh, some pretty nice he gets ivory uh, handles put on the, the revolver and starts carrying it uh, cowboy style with a side holster so definitely a departure from the regular office but not just one twofer twofer thanks MTV That's for right. pimping my gun That's That's it. It. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah he's got these uh, dual revolvers now so it's a good look he's got it. he definitely looks cool he becomes later known uh, uh, by Hitler as the crazy cowboy general so that's kind of cool. When, when Hitler is nervous about you, that's uh, a sign you're doing something right. So um, now what I thought was cool, too, is that uh, we cover that, that. This is the first action, so you have to cover that here. Um, now, Pershing then takes Patton with him to Europe to go into the, uh, the war to end all wars that really just kind of didn't end all wars uh, in World War I or what would have been known as the Great War. So uh, Pershing is leading the American Expeditionary Force, and Patton and him both use their experiences in the Pancho Villa campaign to become adept at this new rising trend in warfare. And I know I saw Paladino's got it up on her phone already. What, what, what are they getting into right now? Tanks. Hell yeah. Um, now, the early tanks were what? It was, uh, it was off the French line, you said, right, Mac? Well, that's the ones that the Americans used. So uh, Patton saw how the French tanks worked and what kind of rounds they could take over the British ones. And he went to, uh, and I believe it was Peugeot was the one that made them, um, or at least made the engines anyways. And he went to the factory and was like, hey, I want your first 10 for the Americans. See, that's yeah, because cool. the Americans were so far behind the times that, uh, you know, they're still dealing primarily with, with horses and, and automobiles. Right. Uh, and now they're in a, in a world war where uh, the Germans, the French, the British are all dealing with armored. Uh, yeah. You know, they got tanks. So they might little things. They might be little two-man tanks that are getting hung up in uh, in a big ditch. But uh, yeah. nonetheless, it's uh, it's a... Your first track. It's a motorized, yeah, it's a motorized weapon uh, rather than just a bunch of guys uh, jumping into a into a car and taking off. Or yeah. needing horses to tow artillery. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I always thought that's the, the weirdest thing is that if you, if you talk about like the explosion of the, like the start of the modern world to me is World War One, because there's literally guys wearing the blue uniforms, uh, riding horses dressed like Napoleon in the French army. Yeah. on their way into these battles and then they're coming out fatigues tanks uh, gas masks I mean it, it happens fast it's like a lightning reaction so unfortunately mankind is at its best the most necessity to uh, further invention is usually done while we're killing each other so. yep yeah, I mean probably the the baddest uh, weapon on the battlefield for the first world war was the machine gun because that was the latest development. Now you got a, a weapon that can fire, you know, multiple rounds per minute, as opposed to a single uh, single shot bolt action kind yeah. of a thing. The the M1, yeah. Well, I mean, we had machine guns before that, but they definitely perfected them because you had the uh, the coolers that would be hooked up the water, so that way the barrel wouldn't melt. Yeah, water cooled machine yep. gun. Yep. Which, uh, yeah, I think it was the Lewis machine gun was one of the early ones. And we, we also, I, th I believe the Gatling gun was used at the end of the, of the Civil War. Correct. That they were starting to figure that shit out. So, again, wild stuff. Um, 
Steve Jobs would have had a different kind of a, a gig back then. <laughs> um, so Patton uh, gets involved uh, over in World War One, like we're talking about. And I did mention um, uh, that the, the Intel, I thought this was so cool, um, an, a, a true history, history podcast, uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. He pulled up the Intel of the Germans that was uh, their comments on the American troops were uh, suicidally brave and that they were the best shots. So, and that's again, you get a lot of country kids out there, man. These are guys who are, are shooting their dinner that night. So, you, you tend to be a pretty good shot when dinner is on the line. They also trained, you know, in basic training, they were given the opportunity to fire the weapon before they were put out onto the line. A lot of the French, British, and, and even the Germans, like uh, Hans, here's your, here's your gun, go get him. Well, yeah. he hasn't fired the gun before. So, that's yeah. uh, a lot of marching, a lot of pageantry involved with uh, right. some of the. And they thought that this war was not going to last long. That was kind of the, the, the feeling here. And uh, didn't quite go that way, man. I don't know if France has really recovered yet. They kind of. The shit they went through in World War One is the wildest stuff I've ever heard, and uh, I'm, I'm happy that there's a renewed public interest in it. But um, Patton gets involved um, now. The Americans show up towards the end of World War One, all right, um, but they didn't know it was going to be the end of World War One at this point. Yeah, well, the the, the French and the British were fighting the Germans uh, for like four years at that point, and it got bogged down because of the whole trench warfare kind of a thing. So there was very little movement on the battlefield, just taking horrendous losses so i mean uh you know an entire generation of uh, british and french were were wiped out from the, on the fields of france um and when the americans first come over there was a whole big political back and forth that um the british wanted the americans to be folded into the british forces and the french wanted the same thing that they wanted the americans to fold in with the french forces and it was you know by the insistence of blackjack pershing that no the americans are going to be with the americans and yeah. we're we're fighting our own we're going to be fighting with ourselves not not being folded into somebody else's army kind of a thing and unless the, you were black <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. And then they just gave entire brigades away to the French. Right, right. <laughs> France has a pretty cool history in terms of uh, not making race an issue, though. I always thought that was a, like there's a lot of um, it, it was uh, it was a different vibe with them. So still some weird shit going on. It's uh, you know, I'm not pretending like it was easy anywhere at that time. But uh, it, it was a French. France was always kind of cool. That a way. lot of that has to do too with the, the French having their, uh, col we'll call them colonial forces, yep. um, helping helping them out coming in from uh, uh, Liberia, Libya, and uh, you know all the French colonies at, at the time from uh, from Africa. So, um, actually, there was uh, an instance, uh, one of the first battles that the Americans got into that um, it was French black troops that came in to uh, reinforce them to really stem the tide or have the thing go go their way. My uh, my buddy D. Langston, he quit comedy. He should not have. He was one of the most naturally funny people I've ever met. Um, skinny black kid from Texas. Um, MMA fighter now, actually. Oh, uh, nice. It's, it's, he's not good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's a natural transition. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> um, yeah he's, he's getting brain damage now so that he can go back to comedy later with the rest of us. But uh, he always had a hilarious story about how um, you know, he's a black kid from Houston, and then there was a, a kid uh, from, uh, from Haiti that he got into a fight with. And he goes, and there's nothing worse than getting your ass kicked by a guy who's yelling at you in French. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, he always had uh, cool stories that way. Now, Patton is Captain Badass, though. There's a little, the machismo is working here. It's not just an yeah. act. He uh, continues to display this affinity for leading his men into battle. Um, he'd often march or ride in front of his own tanks. Sometimes he would even ride atop these tanks. That's, that's kind of ballsy. <laughs> That's ballsy, man. You would ride into battle on top of the tank? I want to say, yeah, and uh, which became kind of his thing, you know, as we're going to get into um, the, the Second World War now uh, afterwards. But uh, this is one thing we can't not talk about. I forget which one of you guys knew the real backstory of what he did in World War One that got him the Distinguished Service Cross. Do you remember that? Oh, I mean, and this is my point to this was that Patton gets a lot of glory for doing these things that are considered brave and fearless but the thing about bravery is <laughs> if you died people don't call you brave they call you dumb <laughs> and, yeah. and so he leads he his new tanks which are like the equivalent of a a, a geo truck. yeah <laughs> it's small people it's like very small um you can push it. It's a. Uh, it gets stuck, and so he's like, "Well, we have to unstuck them." And so he takes six guys with him to unstick his tank. And it's outside in, of Sheppy, I believe, right? Yeah, and in the process, oh, he only brings back two. He himself is wounded in the leg, so he loses five guys on this. You know this heroic mission to go save the tanks. It's like. <laughs> In hindsight, maybe there was another way. Well, uh, then private first class. It's a, <laughs> the guy who actually has to bring him back because uh, the guys do get killed. And Patton now is uh, behind enemy lines. He's, it's a five-mile advance that he goes on to do this. Yep. And he's got his revolver with him. Okay, so no no machine guns, no grenades, no anything. Uh, and he's got just his revolver with him. And his orderly, private first class Joe Angelo, actually has to carry him back because he gets shot uh, what was the line he had? He gets shot. It was in the hip, and then the line almost came out. He almost got to uh, shit in two different directions yeah. after that. It, was, um, it wasn't really good. Um, so he's now wounded in battle. He probably could not have gotten himself back those five miles if he didn't get I like to picture Patton being carried by Private First Class Joe Angelo, almost like um, – uh, Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston in The Bodyguard. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the uh, crossing the threshold of the German line, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So uh, Angelo gets him back, and uh, the two of them. Um, Angelo goes on to actually be a pretty famous guy as well. There is one thing in between the two wars we have to briefly cover as we get into this here, but Patton does receive these accolades. He loves. He actually talks about. Um, that moment of being shot that that's like the most alive he ever felt in his life and he, he kind of decided then and there he goes this is what i want to do i, I kind of i like battle this yeah he wants to thing. lead he wants oh. to definitely lead troops into battle whether the troops yeah. are going to be shot to hell or not that's, well, like that's lynette said thing, too but, yeah. and he also wants to die in battle because one of his quotes was that uh if they take me out let me die falling forward so I can continue to fire my pistols at the enemy as I'm falling yeah. forward because he wanted to be left no doubt about possibly getting shot in the ass again as to which way he was facing because you know they say well he got shot in the leg but I guess the exit wound was pretty much in his hindquarters that uh, you know he wanted to leave no doubt whether he was facing the enemy or turning his back to the enemy uh, running away kind of a thing but he wanted to die f facing forward firing his weapon as he's going down so. and like Lynette said too though it's uh, it's kind of weird it's like hey uh, 
That was pretty cool, huh, guys? Got guys? Uh, <laughs> yeah, shit. Uh, all right. He definitely drank all the Kool Aid of like the ancient civilizations, where dra- if you died a straw death, you just died a weak man. Yeah, a straw bad death. Like uh, he wanted to die on the battlefield, and it's like. Yeah. And it probably and he, goes back to his childhood too, with uh, yeah, everybody f- feeding him the Kool Aid as as a young kid. He's got a, his great uncle was Colonel Mosby from the Civil War. He's got a great uh, another great uncle that died at Pickett's Charge, uh, a grandfather that uh, Mercer that died in the Battle of Princeton. So, Jersey connection. Talk about it. Oh, he had a, uh, an ancestor that um, uh, by the name of Mercer that uh, the Jersey connection would be that uh, you know, we have Mercer County within New Jersey. Well, Mercer was actually a Pennsylvania guy, but he died at the Battle of Princeton. So there's a there's a Jersey connection there. But I think he I almost died at Princeton once, too, actually. But that was just <laughs> that was comedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Patton definitely had delusions of grandeur. And he he's there are quotes about him talking about death. Like, I didn't fear death. I welcomed it. And it was in the moments when he was shot during World War One and thought he was going to die. He was like, I was at peace. I was like, okay, yeah. bro. When you know if, if there was a recording, he's like, Mom, I want you so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, I think of it, it's almost like on stage when you lean into a bomb that you yeah. have to learn it because the first time you bomb, you can't, everyone tries to pretend like it's going okay, but it's uh, there's nothing better than watching someone that you hate bomb, by the way. Well, yeah. That's a perfect synonym. Yeah. Al. Metaphor. Thank gonna, you. Gonna have to take back that smartest person in the room. Thing, <laughs> I was just saying, it's like when somebody bombs and and your friends are like, "Oh, good set," and you're like, "Don't say that to them because you're encouraging the stupidity." Uh, right. That's well, it definitely was encouraged because not only was his stupidity. It, first of all, it did work. Um, he did get the tanks unstuck, and uh, he was able to deal a couple of blows to uh, the Germans. Now they weren't in high fear of him yet. They were just. As far as they were aware, that was just like, uh, who's this rootin' tootin' cowboy here running around on the battlefield with these tanks? But uh, he gets himself the Distinguished Service Cross for yep. what he did outside of Sheppey. And then he also uh, obviously gets a Purple Heart for the injuries. Um, the Enemy Marksmanship Award. Yep. It's a <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard it referred yeah, to as that. That's, that's a good <laughs> yeah, one. I like that, that. That's what we used to call it. So. Uh, <laughs> my grandfather got one. It was so weird because he wouldn't talk about the war at all. He fought in World War II with the combat engineers, oddly mm-hmm. under Patton, by the way. Um, but uh, he would never talk to my mother or my Aunt Linda about uh, anything involving the war. And then when I started asking him questions because I was obsessed with history, the nonchalance that he displayed – while uh, going through some, he goes, yeah, come on upstairs. He goes, I got this battalion book in here with a couple photos you might like. He goes, and he starts tossing stuff around. He goes, yeah, that's my Purple Heart. That's my Bronze Star. He goes, where's that goddamn book? I can't, f-. meanwhile, my jaw's on the ground. Like, <laughs> yeah. Purple Heart? Like, what? He goes, yeah, I got blown out of a truck during the Battle of the Bulge. What? what? Like, walk it back a little, Grandpa. Jesus. And he goes, nah, you really want to look this book up. It's <laughs> so... Um, he was a wild dude. Now, in between the war, there is uh, a couple of issues. All right, uh, there, there's. I want to briefly uh, talk about the. Um, the we, we got plenty of time, by the way. We're good. Um, all right. So I want to talk about um, the issue that we had with um, in between the wars. Uh, Patton not happy. He's now a battlefield guy. He wants to get back in battle. This is where he's feeling the most alive. And then you find out there's no wars left to fight because they decide. I thought hilariously enough to end the war, sign Armistice Day, uh, which became Veterans Day, on Patton's own birthday. Yeah. So happy birthday. Your dream and your life's goal is now over. You know, go back home. It's not going good for him. What's going on in the country 
around this time for MLP? Well, we're, we're at the end of the, uh, the First World War. We're into the Roaring Twenties, but then there's a little incident that happens uh, um, called the Great Depression, um, an economic depression, and it's not just the United States, it's worldwide. Um, at the conclusion of the First World War, I think it took Congress until like 1924, where they finally passed this um, bill that was going to give all the World War I veterans a bonus. Um, the, the hiccup was that the bonus wasn't going to be paid until 1945, and now we're in the middle of this worldwide depression, and it's, oh, you're great, you're going to give me some money in 1945, but this is 1930, 1932, and everybody is, you know, absolutely destitute that um, you know half the country is out, out of work uh, no signs of uh, any any um, work anywhere and well, these, a bonus would come in pretty handy yeah uh, to have that money now to help pay the bills and uh, and maybe feed the family um, would be a good thing so there's a a, a march if you will a rally on Washington and all these uh, veterans, with their families. I mean, so you got wives, kids, the whole nine yards are having this march on, on Washington to try to put pressure on the politicians to, hey, rather than wait till 1945, uh, how about you give me some money now to help kind of tide us over a little bit? I mean, it laughingly became or jokingly became known as the uh, Tombstone Bill um, that you know, you're going to give us money in 1945 so I can have a nice plot to, to bury myself in because uh, we didn't make it till. Well, what age do you have to be? What age do you have to be now, Lynette, to actually get your money from the National Guard? You have to. It's what's. You don't get if it right away. If you retire, yeah. So if you if you do 20 years as a reservist, uh, what they're going to do is start you at 60 years old, and then minus all of your active duty time. So. That's I've, actually kind of cool. I've spent uh, more than 36 months deployed, so I would receive my retirement pay at 60 minus the time deployed, so like 57. That's not bad, actually. Now, the problem was in the uh, – Max shaking his head. <laughs> no, yeah, but at the same time, if you're 30 and, yeah. you know, you're you're out of work, uh, the, the kids are, are crying because there's nothing to eat. <laughs> Maybe it would be a little better to have that money when you're when you're 30 rather than waiting until you're 57. Well, so. uh, this comes to a head now. Well, they were, they were just getting these veterans' benefits. I mean, they wouldn't have done 20 years. If you do 20 years back then, you were getting your full pension. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. So now these poor bastards. 20 years back then. They did. <laughs> so that was the other thing going into World War One is we didn't have a standing army. So it's not like nowadays. So yeah, Which is why we were so unprepared for the First yep. World War. Same thing happened not too long after World War One. Yeah. We go into World War Two, didn't have a standing army. So. Well, that was the problem. After the Civil War, uh, half the army was, uh, you know, do we really want to rearm the Confederates? <laughs> kind of a wild time when you think about it. But uh, now tensions are rising with this bonus army here, right? And uh, Private First Class Joe Angelo was involved in this bonus army. And you told I thought this was so cool. You pointed out something pretty cool, Mac, that Patton now begrudgingly accepts these terrible orders that get handed down to him, that he has to disrupt the bonus army, okay? Because they're, they're marching, they've gathered, they're... Yeah, you know. it's, a, it's an encampment within Washington. They're, they're camping out in some of the parks and everything else around It's Occupy Washington, Wall Street with a plan. You know? Yeah, 
Um, absolutely, yeah. Occupy Wall Street would be a, a very good parallel to that. It probably smelled better too. That was a um, that was a patchouli oil filled mess over there. They mm-hmm. send in the, the D.C. police to try to break these camps up, to you know, to scatter them, to have them have them go home, kind of a thing. And uh, actually, two people are uh, are killed in that. Two veterans are, are uh, shot and killed by the D.C. police. And we complain about trying to work with the V.A. now on a medical yeah. claim. <laughs> well, I didn't get shot at, so um, keep going. Up. So, and then in, um, um, uh, Hoover is the president, um, and all these encampments and stuff actually became known as Hoovervilles. That, uh, you know, this is the way we're taking care of our, our veterans, that they're uh, – living in, in shacks or, or uh, makeshift shelters, whatever you could possibly put together in these in these parks. It wasn't like there was barracks or anything built for these people. It was just uh, totally on the fly. Um, Hoover is not having any of that. Um, it's making him look bad. Uh, so he sends in the, uh, the army. He um, orders the uh, commander-in-chief, or not the commander-in-chief, but the... Um, Chief of staff. Chief of staff, to send in troops to rouse these people out of here, and those orders actually came down to uh, to Patton, to Major Patton at the time, who went in and uh, told his troops, you know, he was like, "Fix bayonet, we're getting them out," and uh, his uh, eventually driver, but at the time aide, um, the PFC was part of them, and he told him personally, he was like, "You need to get out of here." He's like, because once everybody else gets here, we're not going to spare you. This is your warning. Imagine him going, guys, I got to get out of here. I got a thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this is uh, the same guy that carried him out of the out of the trench in World War One and back yeah. to uh, back to headquarters so that Patton could give his report before being taken to the hospital. So, yeah. Um, now I'm excited because we, we do get to, to move into um, other territory here with this one. Uh, and you guys are both kidding. This is why you guys are great guests. Um you're both knowledgeable. So the, the integrity of the show is intact right now. I'm pretty happy. Um, but we did cover this one weird thing that in between the wars now, too. Patton is 50 at what around the outbreak of World War II, I think. I believe mm-hmm. so, yeah. So um, mm-hmm. he thinks that it's all over for him. He's starting to bitch and moan. He thinks um, – he, he is married, though. You pointed that out. That uh, Married well. Yes. Uh, yes. Beatrice, I believe. Beatrice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she was she came from money, no? Yes, she was the daughter of a Boston industrialist, uh, so she came with a lot of money. Not bad, not bad. You know, Hurry up. Well, um, Pat thinks his career is going to wind up being over, and uh, he's apparently he was a real asshole in between wars because mm-hmm. he's made for this one thing, and then you're telling him he can't do it, you know, um, which like, like I talked about in the other episode, we all kind of get bitchy if you don't get on stage every couple of – like if I go more than a week without being on stage, I start – yeah. Really, Kev? Nice. I, I haven't noticed that. That's really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it is a, it's a good release that way. Um, but uh, there's no wars to fight. That's the problem here. We keep trying, right? You know what I mean? Patton's looking for fights, but uh, can't seem to find They're actually starting to put him out uh, on certain uh, posts that are known as Green Meadow posts. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's like uh, like you're putting a horse out into the field. Pasture. Out into pasture. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah, they try to appease him, and they're like, oh, we're going to create this armor school. We're going to make you a commander of. You get to create the... Uh, textbooks for this and oh and now we're going to send you to France to learn how to better fence and 
And he's like, what? no. He was cool. He liked the swords, though. You pointed out something yeah. cool about his swords, right? Oh, uh, LP did. Talk to me. Yeah, while he was in uh, West Point and getting involved, because at that point, you know, he was really hoping to go into the cavalry. That was his. That was going to be his thing. Um, and he actually developed a new uh, standard issue cavalry saber that became known as the uh, the Patton Sword. It was uh, more designed for. Um, you know, frontal assault, I guess, rather than a slashing kind of a thing that they used to used to issue. Um, so yeah, he was he was all about all about you know leading troops into battle, and I guess that whole image of the brave cavalry officer leading the charge on on horseback, you know, brandish, brandishing his sword was uh, all about Patton's uh, own self-image type of a thing. Unfortunately, the horses went away, and now we're into uh, more of an armored thing. So yeah, he is given. Um, the charge of uh, developing the textbooks and everything else, but it's for a, a paper, paper troops because the, yeah. <laughs> you know, the United States was still way behind the times. Well, that's about to we change. Didn't, we didn't have our own our own tanks until much later. Now, one of the things I thought was really interesting that I found was, uh, of course, he went to uh, what's called General and Staff College. It's basically, hey, you're gonna you know be on some General Staff, and you have to pass that to uh, make a Lieutenant Colonel, if I remember right. Yes. Yeah. To take battalion command. Really? Um, okay. And so he passes it with flying colors, but then he has to tutor Eisenhower to pass it. <laughs> so he actually helped Eisenhower cheat through the general and staff college. That sounds a lot like something that happened to me at the stress factory once when I said, Hey, Dave Attell, have you met my friend Lynette <laughs> And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, KP, you're going to do less time. We're giving Lynette a spot on the show. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm teasing. You knew him from uh, uh, you know, uh, other gigs. But um, got to do your makeup better, man. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Really? Yeah. Um, or uh, it, just because we haven't shit on Ken Krantz yet this episode. Um, <laughs> I walked off stage um, on one of the best nights of my life uh, working with Dave. Dave brought me on stage, buys me a drink. Um, um, one of the uh, the the servers or the waitresses at, at a um, stress factory that I have a big crush on. She came. She's the one who brought me the drink on. And we kill. I walk right off stage. Everybody's congratulating me, saying great job. And then Ken Krantz pulls me up and goes, "Can you give me a ride home?" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now there was a reboot of uh, Jay and Silent Bob recently that you were in attendance for, right? For the the yes, premiere. Was. Now, uh, if you think there's too many reboots, which I know that their version is uh, self-aware kind of making fun of the idea of reboots. Um, there's a reboot of World War One that's about to happen. <laughs> All right. There's this peculiar little fashionista, uh, a, a starving artist, if you will, in Germany that's getting a little aggressive. So um, World War Two is about to break out. And the Americans, uh, again, don't want to get involved right away. Because a lot of people don't know this. World War One, we didn't know who we were going to side with until it was pretty much decided for us. If you didn't have the Lusitania and unrestricted submarine warfare, mm-hmm. we might have just joined up with the Germans because the majority of the country was German at the time. That was actually the initial intent was we were going to fight with the Germans and the Austrians and the hung- Hungries, Hungarians. Yes. Uh, it's uh, Well, uh, the Hungries is just uh, like three o'clock in the morning after a gig in Hunger Games? Yeah. Okay. That's a, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that was, uh, people don't realize that. And then there was also another thing too, where uh, if you joined the British, you were going to piss off the German population in the United States. And you were also going to piss off all the Irish Catholics that yep. uh, were in. So pretty much 70% of the country has to go fight with people that they, you know, kind of hate. Yeah. So it's weird that way. But um, in a, we'll, we'll jump over to, like 1941 time frame right now so uh it's uh 
I have a timeline here that I brought up that I thought was pretty uh, useful then. And we're not jumping per se. So if we're missing anything super important on the back end of that. And again, we're not big on dates on this podcast. We're big on stories. So Did you go into the slapping thing? Well, oh, we're going to. Not there yet. I, we're not there you yet. You got to get okay. the war started for that. It's okay. Not, <laughs> so so uh, as we covered on one of my favorite episodes, uh, the General Lloyd Fredendahl. Fredendahl is if Patton never backed up his machismo character he created because Fredendahl looked the part of a badass general um, and uh, Eisenhower was fond of him okay um, now he did work with Eisenhower before and he took Patton and, and Eisenhower had a working relationship and they realized Patton's going to be extremely useful in World War II here um, and they actually wanted to make him he's a, a commanding uh, officer of uh, I think it was the second armored right Correct. yeah okay I know you guys are big on that I, I, it's, it, I joined the Navy because it's easy just to say that what the, the name of the ship is <laughs> so I was on the USS Kearney uh, guided missile destroyer 64 so um, Hoorah. yeah that's uh, which is in Spain now by the way and probably going to get sunk eventually um, <laughs> yeah it's not good um, but uh, Patton's over there uh, as the, the war's going to start here um, it's kind of wild I don't think people realize how fast Hitler moved like when they talk about Blitzkrieg yeah. you know lightning warfare it's incredible he just goes uh, he goes oh I like that I'm taking it kind of a thing <laughs> yeah and literally almost all of Europe is you know under Nazi control here um, France falls Okay, and uh, there's a, there's an idea too. If you don't have the Battle of Britain and you don't have Dunkirk and all these other weird things, Britain probably would have fallen as well. So they got very very lucky that that weird little island over there that kind of. I was gonna say Britain is very lucky that it's an island. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. You had a body of water to to stop the uh, tanks from rolling across. Uh, yeah. Well, the th thing is, is that the Battle of Dunkirk literally, if if Hitler wouldn't have stopped the forward motion, right, he would they would have wiped out the entire British military right there. Because remember at Dunkirk, they had to have private citizens use their own boats to go get people. Yeah. <laughs> they also so. say, too, that, they, that um, the way that the newspapers, because we, we're going to talk about the newspapers a little bit with Patton because he, he doesn't have a good relate. To me, Patton's relationship with the press is the same way that Bill Parcells handled the sports writers of the yeah. time. <laughs> so, uh, which I'm sure is where, uh, what's his name, uh, picked up on that, uh, Belichick. But um, I thought it was worth noting that. Uh, uh, Dunkirk was a good spin job by the British press. They sold that as almost a victory. Yeah. So um, now shit's going on over here at the insistence of Winston Churchill. The war is going to be fought. The, the first real American involvement in the war is going to be combating uh, General Erwin Rommel, the Desert Fox. Field Marshal. Yeah, Field Marshal. Thank field you. Field Marshal. Um, yeah. Good catch. I appreciate that. Um, and before we jump there a minute, though, Kev, I, talk I, to me. I think we just want to back up a little bit because, you know, we, we – started out telling uh, the listeners that uh, Patton's nickname was Old Blood and Guts. I mean, where did he get that nickname from? Um, prior to the U.S. entry into the Second World War, you know, Patton was always pleading and, and speechifying and everything else to try, you know, the Americans have to catch up with the rest of the world here with this whole armored division kind of a thing. And yep. Congress wasn't having anything to do with it. And then once the... the uh, and he actually... Uh, Patton actually predicted that we're going to have some problems here with the Japanese. That you know, they're, the Japanese are getting awfully frisky in the Pacific, and we're probably going to have to be facing them at one point. So now you got the did the Japanese in the Pacific. You got the Germans, you know, rolling across Poland, France, the Netherlands, and everything else. That um, 
you know, finally, they do appoint him to be uh, starting out as the acting commander of the Second Armored Division. That's in April of '41. So April of '41, and they, you know, they're they're finally starting to see <laughs> on the on the radar screen that yeah, we're going to have some problems here because by December of of '41, that's when the Japanese actually do attack uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, he is the acting commander of the Second Armored, and then he is given a permanent command um, and is promoted to Major General. So now he's Major General Patton. Uh, he's, that's, that's two stars. So. Yeah, he's very much involved with the training of this new armored division. And one of his first things that he has uh, ordered is this have this big um, amphitheater built on the, on the training camp, and it became known as the Patton Bowl. But it was under Patton's insistence that he wanted a ball or an amphitheater, or a uh, a venue large enough to, in, to hold the entire division, so that he can give them a, a speech um, to fire them up, kind of a thing. And he, you're talking about the one at Fort Benning. Uh, yeah, it was at Fort Benning. It um, still is. Uh, it's still there. Yeah. Matter of fact, if you watch We Were Soldiers, when when Mel Gibson's giving his speech, yes, sir, that's in Patton Bowl. Oh, is that that's right? right. Yeah. Okay, it's right All in the right. middle of the post, over by Airborne School. Um, now, this whole blood and gut speech was first delivered by Patton in the Patton Bowl kind of a thing, but he would give a number of these, um, you know, inspirational speeches, we'll call it, um, and that's where his his speechifying really took place that, you know, he would accent it with, uh, um, you know, vulgarities, we'll call it, and a lot of the other officers really looked down at Patton because he was talking to the troops in a barracks-like fashion kind mm-hmm. of thing. He wasn't the uh, the officer and the gentleman that uh, Kind of like your line earlier, Lynette, about, uh, ma'am, was that you on stage? Or is I just picture him getting a speech written for him, and then he just... It's almost like how Christopher Walken sees a script and then takes all the punctuation out of it. <laughs> that, that's why that's how his style comes about. That's literally how he does. I just pictured Pat where it's like uh, anytime he, you know, there's a space in here, let's drop a motherfucker in there and then a, uh, a shit over here. And then uh, how about a, a bastards in this one? And then, well, OK, that's good. That's good. I want to make sure none of these speeches can ever get on the radio. It's important to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's given these speeches and then. Um, at the end of the speech, he's like, "I'm." Patton is saying, "I'm taking this division into Berlin, and when I do, I want every one of your tracks to be carrying a stench of German blood and guts, and I'm going to shoot that paper hanging son of a bitch Hitler myself." You know, he was yep. he was all about it. What was the uh, what was the line he said, Lynette, about uh, when they referred to him as blood and guts? Yes, his blood, our guts. Yeah, <laughs> uh, pretty bad on that one. So yeah, it's uh, let's follow Patton into battle. It sounds like a great idea. I mean. Uh, uh, it's not really good if uh, – imagine if you're following a general into battle whose desire is to die on the battlefield. It's almost like uh, you get on a plane to go somewhere and the pilot goes, you know, I've always wanted to go down in a fiery crash, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Expect a landing in Jacksonville at uh, 745. <laughs> Expect yeah. the ambulance at 750. <laughs> From time to time, we all get sad. <laughs> uh well, now, uh, we are talking about it earlier, is that I thought this is kind of the cool, um, the flip on the script here, is that Rommel, partly from Nazi propaganda, uh, and then also just uh, because he was a brilliant guy, um, he is uh, very interesting. If we ever got a chance to do a you know, German loser, he would be one of the guys I would talk about. But uh, really kicking ass over in the desert here, beating the shit out of pretty much anything that's in front of him. He's 
literally known as the Desert Fox. Yep. He gets fondly reported in American papers and also by British papers as part of the Nazi propaganda. That was their thing like, oh, we want them, uh, we want the Allied troops when they're coming up against us to fear Rommel. We're like, we can't go up against it. It's like playing the Patriots you know, at Gillette Stadium. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a wild thing. Well, it was Rommel who actually wrote the, the German version of the uh, armored uh, handbook, if you will. Yep. That, uh, Based off it, of Patton's original guides. Yep. <laughs> which uh, we get to in a second here. Um, Mr. Fredendahl is not a great general. Uh, there's an incident. Uh, now, it, he's actually technically in charge of majority of the operations when they arrive in Africa. Um, Fredendahl's gonna be in this one spot. He actually makes himself a, a, a military governor of the area, which I thought was wacky. Uh, I guess that's common practice, but um, so Patton's guys, they show up and uh, Patton handles business when he gets to Africa. He's not really having any issues. Um, Lloyd Frendall's not really having any issues either. So um, Patton's handling stuff. He gets involved with the Casbah. You know about that, Mac? Um, not a whole lot about it. Yeah, no. it's a, pretty much a badass old fort over there that was like... I know you rock it. That's yeah, all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started looking for links between uh, the song and then Patton's involvement, and um, it, there's none. Um, <laughs> I was hoping for a weird connection. We just didn't get on that one. But um, so while he's over there getting involved with, uh, with Africa and everything... Um, Fredendahl gets fucking obliterated at the Battle of Kasserine Pass. Yep. And kind of his move here, uh, just to explain this to you, Kahuna, he, uh, he's got all these men that they could you know do something kind of interesting with, or he could spread them out in a very, very thin line so that they're easily overran. Yep. One third, of the most... Third Infantry Division. Probably one of the most embarrassing The, the worst ever. lost for a third infantry division ever. No shit. Yeah. That's their that's their friggin' uh yeah, and that was the first, Giants game. That that's was the first world. American involvement against the Germans and it was being led by Friedendahl and they got the shit kicked out of them. Mm -hmm. And you know, all this thing and it was Rommel against Friedendahl and uh, at the Kazarine Pass they got they got you know slaughtered and again I, I like the idea of Friedendahl as um as just Patton without the you know results. He looked good. He wore his, you know, he, he was a, a smart dresser, yeah. and he liked to bark and talk a good game. He had the image, but certainly not the uh, machismo. Of, uh, kind of a, a Ben McAdoo, if you will. <laughs> I know I keep going back to uh, the Giants here, but um, <laughs> so uh, good stuff on that. I appreciate it. That's, again, you guys are, the integrity of the show is on the rise when you guys are here. Um, Patton is, uh, he winds up actually coming into command now of, uh, they relieve Fred and all of duties. They send him back to the States. He spends the rest of the war uh, marrying couples on, uh, you know, on the base. That's like, oh, General Fred and here. And nobody really said anything bad about him until after the war. Patton's initial response when he shows up there, he goes, ah, oh, Fred and I'll just, you're up against Rommel. It's the first time in the desert, man. It's not an easy assignment. And then upon reviewing of the troops, Speaking with the field commanders, uh, speaking with uh, you know the boots on the ground, if you will, and then seeing how everything was prepared, he goes, uh, "Yeah, Fredendahl sucks, dick." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole morale of the American troops, and, and that was part of the whole uh, thing too. That the British were watching. Well, let's see how these Americans do when they first come into battle against Rommel, because the British have been fighting Rommel across uh, North Africa, you know, for a couple of years now, yep. and they, they were. They were barely hanging on uh, to North Africa because they they knew that they had to protect the uh, the Suez Canal in in Egypt. Otherwise, uh, you know, Germany would have had um, all kinds of uh, oil fields and everything else to uh, help yep. um, help their military machine. 
So, I mean, the, the British are looking at, and the rest of the world are watching the Americans as to how they do. And then under Friedendahl's leadership, you know, they get wiped out in, at the Kazarine Pass. And now um, Patton is put in charge. Um, Friedendahl is uh, relieved of command. And I don't think anything really bad was publicized about that. Because you know you're, you've got a war effort going on. Yeah, you don't want to. You got. We already like the guy. Don't make us root for him right. too. You know. Just because we got the shit kicked out of us, we got to we got to spin that somehow or other. That uh, <laughs> you know, it's green troops. It was the first time they were in battle, uh, and everything else. But you know, Patton comes in and he's just kicking ass. That that you know, the, the, things are going to change around here because you know it's. It was almost like Patton was trying to make the troops, the American troops, more afraid of him than they would be of the of the Germans kind of a thing. Well, uh, it kind of worked. Um, now, I mentioned, because we talked about this on uh, the other episode, um, Lynette, that uh, so Patton, he has to deal with, it's very weird, because when you think about the World War, it's uh, the Americans are showing up to fight the Germans, and the Germans are fighting, and Fredendahl's actually fighting the Germans directly. That's Rommel, that's the, you know, the Panzers and all that shit. Um, but uh, when Patton arrives in Africa, he's fighting, uh, you know who we're talking about, the Vichy French. Yeah. Kind of yeah. a weird thing. So there's this weird deal where the Vichy French have an agreement, reluctantly an agreement, with Hitler that if they're you – know, we'll respect the Vichy government um, as long as you guys kind of just admit that you know France is you know Nazi-occupied now. So – they agree to that, and they actually wind up fighting. So it's uh, the French are fighting the Americans in Africa. So it's kind of all over the place. But um, yeah, the Vichy government was really just a puppet government of Germany. So although they were French troops, you said puppet, and Kahuna looked up for the first time in ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he one day he is finally going to show a, a temper and just assault me, and I'm just I, I can't even argue with. Him. I'm like, yeah, I deserve this. It's been it's about a year of, of teasing the poor guy. <laughs> um, so you keep poking the bear with the stick. That's, that's it. That's it. That's all I can I'll stand. give you a fucking picnic basket. It. <laughs> um, so, no, it's worth noting, too, here that uh, uh, I thought this was kind of cool. They uh, The French tanks are moving in, and they're pretty good. The French tanks are solid around this time. Yeah. And uh, Patton is realizing that he might have to call in something on this. Um, now, communications aren't exactly what they were nowadays, but a uh, a... US, the USS Savannah, a Navy ship that's uh, off the coast over here, is able to uh, see where the tanks are coming in. And they actually fire, they loose the guns on them and blow the shit out of these fucking tanks. Now, is this a destroyer or a battleship? Uh, well, I th- it's weird because the uh, the names of things changed. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I think they would just refer to it as, a, I guess we'd call it a battleship. That's probably the right word for it. So they're loosing the cannons here. It's the USS Savannah. Just kind of rains hell down on these French tanks. And it all kind of works out. So look at us, guys. Army, Navy, working together, fighting mm-hmm. the French. It's it's kind of beautiful. Um and then, uh, so he's able to move on and takes over the Fredendahl's uh, command post Kasserine Pass. Uh, he is now outfoxing the Desert Fox. Yep. That's pretty cool. That is uh, Tom Coughlin uh, putting a stop to Bill Belichick. That's how I'm looking. <laughs> and again, I know we have listeners in uh, New England. I, I, I have a fondness for the Patriots, but I'm a Giants fan at the end of the day. So um, he actually, there's a line in the movie that you quote all the time, LP, about uh, Rommel kind of earned. 
he actually gives respect to Patton. There's a line that uh, Rommel has when he's viewing uh, Patton's maneuvers in the field. Yeah, well, it was in the movie Patton as well, too, that I mean, he's looking through binoculars watching the, the tank battle going on there, and he can see that you know the tide is turning. The Americans are starting to win over the Germans, and he's I read your book, you son of a bitch. You know, that he, he read Rommel's handbook on tank warfare, so he kind of knew Rommel's uh, motive up around There's a line, too, uh, Rommel, you magnificent bastard. So yes. yeah. I thought that was worth noting. Um, <laughs> so he's got, uh, he, he has the respect of the Desert Fox. Rommel himself actually refers to Patton. He just goes, he was talking to another U.S. commander. I think he just goes, uh, he goes, he is, uh, he's your best. Patton's the one we're afraid of. So, yeah. Kind of cool that way. Now, a lot of people are afraid of Patton, as we're going to get into another quick incident. Um, sometimes his own troops were afraid of him. Yeah. How would this go over, uh, Lynette, if you were to visit, if you were to... <laughs> The story just makes no fucking sense. First of all, I I, I don't want to conflate it because uh, he has victory over in Africa. Okay, it's the first uh, major defeat uh, for the Nazis at the hands of the Americans. Pretty badass. You're able to sell that story. The newspapers are covering pretty fondly. Now this story happens. There's several incidents that happen with this, um, leading up to. Uh, so the incident happens and then gets reported on about three years later. The original one. So uh, there's an incident where. When Patton is visiting some of his troops that are wounded in battle, um, and he loves these guys, he is always visiting them. He like gets emotional. They say whenever he sees the guys that are hurt, because he, he understands, like you guys were talking about earlier, a lot of this is based off of his decisions. Now, um, one time when he's visiting a guy who was pretty fucked up, um, there's a guy who appears to have no physical wounds. Now we all understand nowadays that PTSD is a real thing. And there are people out there. That, there's also people that fake shit like that, too. We had a lot yeah. of guys. Uh, there was a line one of my corpsmen had uh, over in um, Dubai when he was uh, he was there was guys who were complaining about uh, back pain so that they didn't have to wear their Kevlar. Yeah. And he goes, you do realize people are dying like literally six hours from us right now that people are getting shot and you're complaining that your armor's too heavy. So there's a little bit of that in there. But there was also the uh, the, the hidden wounds of uh, battle and everything. Patton wasn't really sympathetic on that, uh, was he, Paladino? No, I, I, I don't. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I thought it was reported pretty, uh, very recently after he actually slaps the soldier. So he goes to visit the field hospitals, and um, you know, he's he's telling everybody how brave they are, and then he comes across somebody who has no visible injuries, and and then the guy just kind of breaks down, and he loses his shit on him and slaps him. And he wasn't the only one. There were other other. It happened. I think it happened Twice. more than once. Yeah. yeah. And wait, wait. Uh, he was. People were slapping other people. Everybody was getting up and slapping this guy like an airplane when they're calming the woman. <laughs> no, not the poor guy. And uh, and like, let's put this into a little bit of context. If you were suffering from shell shock during World War One, and you were just so incapacitated that you couldn't fight anymore, you would have been shot for cowardice. Correct. And that happened regularly. Uh, yep. Not so much in the American Army, but in the British Army, one hundred percent. And so now you have twenty years later, we've we've grown a little as a people, and we're a little more sympathetic and understanding. And and not Patton. No, Patton slaps the guy. Uh, it gets. It gets all the way up the chain of command, and they they put him into hiding for a little bit. They go, you know what? You need to go take a timeout because uh, that's not okay. You can't be slapping people. They put him in the corner. Yeah, yeah. wow. Per, per FDR, so we said, don't fuck with TR. Don't 
don't piss off FDR either. And the other thing is they made him apologize to the entire division and all the the uh, doctors and nurses that were present when it happened. Right. Really? Right. Yeah. Now, he didn't he sneak some F-bombs in? He slapped them with his gloves Glove. kind of a thing. Yeah. That he had, I guess, riding gloves type of a thing. And it took his and slapped the guy across the face with the, uh, with the gloves. You know, George... I, you know, we also have to kind of take this, I think, um, in the in the time period because I can remember my own uncle who was a um, a tail gunner in a B seventeen, one of the uh, first Americans to go over um, to England during the Second World War. He was also asked to leave the Jersey Shore once because he was winning all of the uh, arcade games. <laughs> he was that good yeah. of a gunner. Yeah, but uh, you know. His take was like, if you didn't want to go into battle, you were just chicken shit. I mean, yeah, that was that was the attitude. And Lynette's point about the you know the British Army, if you were shell shocked, um, you were shot for cowardice. Uh, George Carlin has got a great bit <laughs> on that. I don't know if you guys have heard. Usually, that, I'm the ones you know, he, shoehorning he, this shit in, but oh, you know, I'm excited. He has, a, he has a great bit on that. That you know, yeah. in a in a Carlin esque type of manner, he's saying, "Well, yeah, uh, we've really progressed because in the in the First World War, uh, if you were sitting in a trench and getting constantly bombarded and you couldn't take it anymore and you cracked up, you were shell shocked. You know, it was it was yeah. a, a punchy kind of a kind of an expression. You know, two syllables, two words, shell shock." And then by the Second World War, we've kind of expanded, and now we're battle fatigue. You yep. know that we've expanded to that, and then then finally to um, you know the the Iraq War and that type of thing. Now it's post traumatic stress disorder that we've given this whole thing a medical terminology type of a thing rather than yeah. just. You know, back to the to the Civil War yeah, or, the, what, or the First World War, you were sh- chicken shit. <laughs> I, I like the way uh, um, he, he says it. He, we've taken the humanity out of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there's several incidents, by the way. This is not an isolated one. Yeah. Padding, slapping bitches. Yeah, right? I think the one you were pulled up was the one that happens later on. Yeah, that's actually that's, in that's uh, where Sicily. Ashley loses his. Anyways, it's yeah. almost like not that they're similar, but it's almost like there's the first uh, issue of uh, 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 kind of a it, not to bring the Me Too movement into it, but uh, there's almost like I you have to hear the first to Belichick cheating. Again. No, no, we're off the hook so. on that. One. I've isolated enough of our New England listeners. Um, also, one time I talked shit about Germany on here, and, uh, and I said, I said, "Fuck Germany, we don't have any listeners." And then I got the the most polite message saying. I'm a listener from Germany, and um, I'll continue to listen. I'm going to keep listening, but I just wanted to let you know we are here. (laughs) (laughs) Danke schön. So, uh, yeah, Patton's slapping some people around, and it's almost like there's the – everyone kind of knows it happened. Right, and then FDR himself actually is you know made aware of this. He, he I think the line was uh, he goes, we can't be cruel to the troops, you know. So um, yeah, and the papers blow it up because Patton and the papers, the newspapers did not. They don't like you. Now right. here's the thing: there's the one incident. There's multiple, but the one that starts getting reported on the most heavily, everybody's like, yeah, we all kind of knew this. It's almost like um, with uh, if you hear it, uh, you know, friggin' uh, what's his name, the the producer that was beat, Harvey Weinstein. Hmm. Uh, Everybody knew he was a piece of shit. There's jokes about it in every sitcom, every movie ever. They always talk about it. 
Um, and then when it finally starts coming to light, it's like an avalanche. We have to have multiple incidents where people take it seriously. And yeah, that's starting to happen here with Patton. But again, this is the guy who just beat Rommel in the desert. He's also the guy that just took Palermo in the Sicily campaign, which, by the way, they uh, people that didn't like Patton, they used to try to say that the mob handed it to him. Uh, they did not. The British forces, because what was um, the guy's name, LP? Montgomery. 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 <laughs> Excellent. He was uh, release the hounds. <laughs> he had the same kind of a. Um, what am I talk, thinking of? Uh, attitude that that Patton did. He thought he was at Montgomery on the British side. So Patton and Montgomery were definitely at odds in competition with one another. Um, Two Japanese fighting fish, and they're going to uh, beat un- each other's brains out with the ball. With, with Sicily. Mm-hmm the overall command went to a British general by the name of Alexander and they had uh, they had a game plan a battle plan for the taking of uh, of Sicily and Montgomery was able to convince his um, higher-ups to go with his plan and give him like first dibs on the the best route to uh, take over the island and that was a, a a change of the game plan that they originally came up with where it was going to be more of an equal share of uh, of the glory if you will of retaking Sicily and then uh, Patton just did an end around and, and uh, really was responsible beat, beat Montgomery to uh, I guess it was Palermo yeah because Sicily's a big island and then Palermo's the capital so they kind of were isolating Patton and then Patton found a way to make himself relevant in the campaign smashing success too um whenever you guys have anything by the way because I, I truly do value your input on the show just just hop in man so uh sicily was also one of the first combat um jobs for the 82nd so no sh- okay yeah that yep. was uh i think they talk about that on band of brothers a little bit which follows the 101st yeah that the 82nd was the first because that technically the first action the 101st saw was d-day itself um kind of they had they had other units that did come in the pa- uh the pathfinders went into uh sicily and palermo no shit. Yeah, yep. it's a. I always like that line from uh, Bill Garner when he's talking about. It. He goes, "I got a brother in Africa. He says it's hot." Yeah, <laughs> really. So, talking. Oh no! Just I was giving you a heads up. One twenty-one. One twenty. Thank you. We are getting towards the end here on this one. Uh, this is a uh, uh, Ming. If you're listening, I owe you a little bit of money. All right. Um, <laughs> but we're making up for last week. Um, so, and I won't hold you. Do you have another show coming in? No, you're good. Killer. We're going to finish this one up. Both my guests, thank you guys so much here. LP, I know you had leaves you wanted to do today, so those are <laughs> oh, just going to yeah. have to wait a little bit. I apologize. <laughs> Can't wait to go outside. But we're right in the middle of it right now, man. This is too good to pass up here. No, so no, keep going. Absolutely. Um, he, by taking Palermo, he makes himself another uh, big victory for the Americans, and they're just sitting there like, wow, Patton's doing shit, man. And then as Lynette said, then you take your best guy and you put him in timeout because the newspapers are kind of running wild with, oh, Patton's smacking bitches. So, yeah, he slapped, he slapped a, uh, a wounded soldier. Yeah, kind of a thing, and so. one guy that he slapped him so hard that the guy's helmet came off. Yeah. That was a <laughs> yeah, that's a slap. These, these weren't uh, love taps. This wasn't... No. Um, this wasn't uh, like, like when I miss a shot and uh, Uncle Paulie smacks me. With a, he with became – Patton became enraged. I mean, when he was in that field hospital and slapped the first guy with his gloves, he was – and actually kicked him out of the tent that he didn't deserve to to be in with truly wounded guys. With these brave boys. Yeah. Um, yeah. That earned earned that, um, that wound in battle kind of a thing. Um, but he's relieved of command and – and then it's bounced around. Now, the Germans can't believe this. They can't believe that you're going to relieve 
your best general, the guy that just kicked the shit out of Rommel, right? Our one of our best guys and it just defeated Rommel in North Africa and now later again in Sicily. The Americans have to be, this has to be some type of a ploy type of a thing that uh, um, they're not going to take your best guy out of the game. I'm excited. This is where we start picking the brain of uh, the the creative types. Like, Kahuna, we tease you, but you are a very creative guy. So this is where they bring you in to um, the military planning (laughs) meetings and say, talk to us. Give us your elevator pitch for uh, what's going to become known as LP. (laughs) The the Phantom Army. Um, That... He's relieved of command. Uh, Kahuna looked at us like, uh, which so episode he, of Scooby Doo is this? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> he just had some some um, major victories for the Allies. The Allies now have regained North Africa. They've regained Sicily, and now they're about to launch another front against uh, against uh, you know Hitler's Germany, and they're bouncing him around. They're flying him to Morocco. They're flying him to Egypt. So. Although it might be publicized that he's just making speeches and, and he's really not doing anything to the German point of view, he's investigating where are we going to now invade Europe? Is it going to be through Italy? Is it going to be through France? Is it going to be through the, uh, the Caucasus? I mean, where, where is this guy going to show up next? And um, he then is eventually flown back to, um, to England and they start playing this whole ploy of this this phantom army that the germans know that they're coming i mean the allies realize that in order to defeat hitler we have to invade europe uh, or uh, retake europe where is that invasion going to come from which is one of the reasons why they're flying him all over the place but then they start um floating the whole idea that there's more allied troops stationed in england than there really are they take like 1,100 guys and make up this um, this whole new division. Um, and uh, what the heck was the name of it? While you're pulling that up, did you ever hear the line that they had about the, the British troops going back and forth with the American troops in England? I thought it was pretty funny. It was uh, pre-D-Day. The line was um, the, the British who were annoyed, you know, casually annoyed with the American troops would say, the problem with you Americans is that you're um, – uh, oversexed, uh, over aggressive, and over here. No, overpaid. Over uh, oversexed, overpaid, and over here. Yeah. And then the line was uh, that they had back to the Brits. He goes, "Well, uh, your guys' problem is that you're uh, underpaid, undersexed, and under Eisenhower." So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So yeah. keep going, LP. Um, so they the um, the uh, the British were actually the first. The British intelligence were the first to come dream up this whole idea that became known as Operation Fortitude. That they made up this phantom army and huge divisions of men. That uh, this Operation Fortitude actually was a, a two-part kind of a thing. That they made up this make-believe army that was going to be based up in Scotland, with the idea that they were going to launch an invasion of Europe through Norway. Because yep. the Germans were in Norway at that time. Norway gave the Nazis hell, by the way. So now, yep. now Hitler is yep. sending a lot of the German troops up to Norway in anticipation of maybe the invasion is going to come into Norway. Meantime, there's Operation Fortitude South, which they put Patton in charge of. So now Patton is in charge of this paper army, this army that doesn't exist. Yeah, the original name, by the way, was uh, um, Operation You Motherfucking Bastards. That was, I believe, Patton's <laughs> name for it. Yeah. So um, keep going. 
know, and, and Patton and Eisenhower came to an agreement that, yeah, all right, we're going to pretend that I'm in charge of this make-believe army, but when the shit really does start flying, I'm going in yep. um, as backup. So um, the shortest distance between England and France was at uh, Calais, and that's where they started basing this second um, part of this phantom army in, in around Dover in, in England, making Patton in, in charge of that. They were pretending to be like 30,000 troops and it was really being carried out. This ruse was being carried out with like 1,100 guys that they developed insignia that um, supposedly, quote unquote, was leaked to um, Look Magazine. That Look Magazine put out all the different um, division patches, and this uh, um, this false army. Uh, this is the Jacksonville Comedy Festival. Yeah, of, there you go. For anyone who's seen my the comedy festival that never took place, <laughs> that Kevin won. Um, but uh, um, need to look at credits a little closer there. <laughs> it became known as, uh, at least on paper, as FUSAG, the first U.S. Army. Um, yep. Garrison. Garrison. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I need a military guy to help me out with some yeah. of this shit. And then the first U.S. Army actually became a real thing. So yeah. From that. The big, yeah. no big shit. red one. The big yeah. red one. Well, no, that's 1st Armored Division, or 1st uh, Infantry Division. I'm talking about the 1st Army, the little A. Oh. That is now out of, like, uh, Atlanta. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, this whole thing is just being carried out. Um, meanwhile, the Germans are, are checking all this shit out, and they're thinking that, all of England is, is filled with German spies. Little did the Germans know that the British intelligence was able to turn a lot of these guys earlier in the war, and they're actually now double agents. So they're feeding false information back to Germany, thinking it's uh, you know the correct stuff. Counter the, intel, what? Counter intel. <laughs> hey, That's your you bread go. and butter right there. there. You go. And then uh, um, <clears throat> the Germans didn't realize that the British were able to crack the Enigma code; that they were able to break the German code. So as they're feeding information back to Germany, they're checking it out with um, messages that the Germans are sending that, are they buying this shit? Oh, they are, that's awesome, that's great, you know, that we can continue on. Um, uh, Kahuna will probably get into this too. I mean, you're you're setting up these false camps that you have make-believe barracks, you have make-believe tanks, it was inflatable yeah. tanks. Um, they had, um, make believe landing craft uh, floating in the rivers kind of a thing because as the Germans are flying over and taking aerial reconnaissance uh, shit there it is I mean they, they got the barracks they got uh, 200 tanks a couple of battleships four very fun bun house, very bounce houses yeah, bounce houses and, and of these 1100 guys that were really posing as 30,000 men like at night they would move these make-believe tanks and jeeps and all this armored personnel uh, Military stuff. deception. You yeah. got to love it. <laughs> moving, moving it around at night so that was in a different position. They actually developed this this device, this tool that you could drag across um, fresh fields so it looked like it was tank Raised, tracks. Yeah. <laughs> tank yeah. tracks or, or um, truck truck tire marks. Uh, and they at, took a page out of Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Absolutely. And, and That's what we told. This was perfect for you, buddy. <laughs> they had a lot of the British um, um, 
movie studios, um, creating all these different props and sets that yep. uh, by aerial reconnaissance, it looked like the real deal. And um, because now the, the Germans are sending vast amounts of uh, uh, armor and men in around Calais thinking that that's where the invasion is gonna come from. Meanwhile, the Normandy beaches, which are like 200 miles away, are lightly defended and they really hadn't. I, w- I wouldn't call those light. lightly. Yeah. <laughs> well, pillboxes with MG 42s. That, that's true. <laughs> but at the same time, and all the, the beaches were mined, so you couldn't bring boats in. But yeah. the, the intelligence that they were feeding, oh, yeah. feeding them was that we're going to send in a feint into Normandy, but the yeah. real attack is going to come weeks later into Calais. So that if the Germans move their. Um, their men and materiel to um, support Normandy, you're gonna leave Calais undefended and then Patton is gonna go in with uh, this make-believe phantom army. um, Just another genius move. It really was the the biggest lie that was ever perpetrated, I think, uh, in the world. uh, And they they bought it. uh, It wasn't until weeks later, I mean, it was almost, well, Normandy D-Day started on June the 6th. It wasn't until late in the summer where the Germans finally said, you know what, I think I think we got schnookered here, that uh, they really are. It wasn't until Patton did come across weeks later and was now knocking on the door of, of Calais that they realized, oh shit, we screwed up and we should have uh, we should have moved. Yeah. Hitler realized that he should have moved the troops over to uh, to Normandy. Well, D-Day actually started on the fifth because you had the pathfinders and the gliders that went in from eighty second, one hundred first. But they had they had uh, created swamps, so you had a lot of the pathfinders end up drowning underneath their own parachutes. Oof, that's a way to go, isn't it? Yeah. Um, no, that that sucks. It's always what well. now you're saying the biggest lie ever perpetrated. And uh, we're going to wrap up here shortly, but we are at the the high water mark of Patton coming up here. Um, biggest lie ever perpetrated LP, you said was that. That was pretty cool. It, it all works in conjunction. This is all, it's a bluff that they just don't call. And Hitler makes the greatest mistake ever, uh, which seems to be made by a lot of the great military minds. Uh, land war in Russia, mm. not good. So he decides he's going to uh, invade Russia. Um, that becomes like a, a huge, you know, uh, fuck up for him, which obviously we all know how it goes. Um, the Americans do beat them. Don't get me wrong. The Allies do beat, but what Russia mm-hmm. and the Germans do to each other is the most barbaric shit I have ever. Oh, yeah. It's horror story bad. Um, but that being said, now uh, Grandpa Marty, Marty Boyajin, is marching in with uh, the combat engineers. He is a part of uh, what was it, Patton's Third Army? Yep. So they're going to because um, that was the, the sorry that was the other part of the deal. Was right, with uh, Eisenhower. Yeah, is that he had to uh, be because at Sicily he lost his fourth star for slapping the the guy. They were like, "Oh, you're no longer a four star. Now you're a three star. Get over there." And he told Eisenhower, "If you want to use me in a paper army, you got to give back my fourth star before I go over to Europe." Which also led to the deception of the Germans yeah. that now we, he's back to a fourth star. He's getting ready to lead the invasion. Yep. That they, the Germans thought that they're going to send in their best guy to lead the invasion, and yep. that was Patton. Yep. Well, uh, now uh, there's uh, the, this what's going to become known as the Battle of the Bulge is about to take place. Um, and it is uh, – I know Mac had to roll his eyes a little bit on that one. I get it. It's um, – it's a wild story. All right. This yeah. is where my grandfather uh, saw uh, – he, he won his bronze star. I think 
post battle of the bulge but it was uh he was involved in it he came through with Patton. now there's uh there's some interesting disparities here if you talk to the airborne community yes. they have some particular feelings um mac elaborate so uh at the battle of the bulge uh 101st and the 82nd were in there 101st more than the 82nd because 82nd was doing more uh br bridge um concentrations they really are the battered bastards of World War II. Though they get yeah. literally everything has their fingerprints the, on it. Yeah, um, but between the 82nd and the, uh, the 101st, is it's kind of hard to find a major battle that didn't involve one of those two divisions. Um, but the 101st at that time was being led by General McAuliffe, um, who was uh, at the time completely surrounded uh, on all sides. And I loved his uh, uh, one of his. Uh, request whenever a uh, core came down and was like hey do you want us to get you out you're completely surrounded he goes now he said no because now it doesn't matter where i shoot i'll kill them um but when the <laughs> he had a couple other good lines too i think yeah, you're gonna get the to. enemy's downrange no matter where <laughs> yeah. i go right? um and uh the german field marshal sent in a runner and said hey we're requesting your surrender and when mcauliffe uh first got it he said he's nuts and his runners like that's the best response so that was his response back was nuts yep um and at the time uh at the battle like i said at the battle of bulge you had guys who were getting uh trench foot um frostbite Ugh. so if you watch a uh, band of brothers um you had guys that were uh getting bombarded and trying to dig with their hands to get further into the dirt mm -hmm. um and uh there was a uh, um uh, 101st was actually starting to take back ground at the time um, on Bastogne. the the Easter yep at the Battle of Bastogne and then Patton comes in with the armor um, and starts opening up uh, roads again and claims that he saved the airborne and the response back was we didn't ask you to save anybody we had it yeah it's we, uh yeah. what was interesting too I think um, Patton again he forecast or predicts the uh the japanese uh, getting frisky and starting you know starting trouble in the pacific with uh with not necessarily pearl harbor but that we're going to be fighting the the japanese if we don't get our shit together here um he also he also predicted that the germans were going to have a um uh, what the heck is the word when they come back at you? <laughs> come, give me a break. You're doing great, LP. Oh, Lord, until then. Um, Counterattack. Yes. That the, the Germans oh, were yeah. going to counterattack. These aren't hard words. What yeah, are you doing? I know, I know, I know. Sorry. Apologies, apologies. <laughs> it's a word search. It's uh, the, the, All the neurons aren't firing just yet. But um, Patton predicted that there was going to be a counterattack by the Germans because we were yep. beating them back. And then at the bulge, there was a, a, a literally a bulge in the battle line yep. that was created. And then the Germans were going to counterattack at, at that bulge. Um, and Patton was saying, yeah, they did the same shit in World War One. Yeah, we're going to do they're going to try it again. So he was getting his own troops, you know, the third armor to uh, to be at the ready, if you will, yeah. that 
at a moment's notice. And then Eisenhower, I think, was saying, well, who can go in to relieve these guys that are completely surrounded in Bastogne? And then Patton said, I can get there in life. I think two days. Two yeah. days. And Eisenhower's <laughs> like, bullshit. And right, right, like, right, right. There's nobody that can move that amount of men that distance in two days. And yeah. sure enough. And uh, the movie Patton, I, I know this because that was a big thing that annoyed the Airborne guys, too, was that in the movie Patton, it's portrayed that Patton is coming to the rescue kind of a thing. Yeah. So they're, uh, but they're, they're not doing it as an insulting thing. They're almost kind of saying like, we're going to get a chance to relieve the Alamo. You know what I mean? Like kind they, they of. Knew the shit was that's going not on how, there. that's not how he made it look, but which is where it started the issue. So not bad. I, uh, um, it sucks. I just have my, my iPad is, uh, it just got 18 text messages all at once, mm-hmm. all from like a week ago. So it's great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah. Um, as we're going to start to wrap up because this one to go on, I am so grateful for both of you guys. I really am because we're getting, um, I think I know what we're going to do with the first episode now. Um, <laughs> we're going to, sh- we're going to shit can that bad boy. All right. Um, but he has a victory uh, in the Battle of Bulger. You cannot tell this story without – I have one question for you because you worked in the intel community, right? Yes. So question for you. You guys were able to plan for almost everything. Do you now or have you ever had the capacity to control the weather? No. No, we haven't. Uh, Patton had a plan for this. Um, Kahuna um, – you're going to think we're fucking with you on this next one, all right? I already kind of do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're kind of leaning that way, are you? Um, so, yeah. Uh, okay. LP, you know the story for how he – this made me laugh pretty hard here. Uh, Patton has a plan. The weather's garbage in uh, for the Battle of the Bouldran. Oh, it's always like that in your – Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and they particularly need a decent day, almost like going on a hunt where you're just like, all right, well, we'll have nice weather so we can go hunting. They're just – they're not hunting deer. They're hunting Nazis. Um now, what happens here that transpires that they actually – I understand God is brought into this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and the, Patton is taking his troops across France and, and, and is recapturing, you know, vast amounts of uh, French territory kind of a thing. But the, the weather is miserable. And if you got three weeks of nothing but rain, uh, I don't give a shit what you're, what you're driving, whether it's a tank, a jeep, or whatever. That you're, you're, not, you're not making a whole lot of forward progress type of a thing. And he calls in one of his um, his chaplains, the head the head chaplain for his particular army, and says, uh, you know, do you have a prayer for weather? And uh, the chaplain responds, you know, let me, let me get back to you on that one. And then comes back, I think, a day later. How do I not get slapped? After, uh, after, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, now you're, you're being called in on the carpet um, to the head man, uh, you know, Patton, for, at least for his uh his area and uh he said you know i couldn't really come up he came up with this chaplain writes a prayer for the for the weather and it's distributed to the entire um division the core uh, army sorry the the entire army the third army and it was also a christmas message uh involved with that as well but that became the 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 weather prayer if you will that the weather was going to break i mean any military guy is going to realize that the Normandy invasion that took place uh, on June the sixth because, uh, in order for the tides to be right and the weather had to be right, and, I mean, it was there was so many different things. And fa- it still wasn't the phase oh, of the moon, and it wasn't right. The, the and wind it, was horrible. It was still everybody. shitty weather, but if they 
called it off for the beginning of June, they would have to wait, I think, another two months before they would be able to uh, launch the invasion. So uh, although it was uh, a crapshoot, they rolled the dice and went with it. And there was just so many different instances like that where it was um, the success of the mission was weather dependent. So that Patton calls in his chaplain, his his chief head chaplain, I don't know what the correct military term is, but uh, you're doing good to write write a prayer for the, for the weather and it distributes it to to the entire uh, army to, uh, you know, Christmas measures. And and this is going to become the, uh, the command prayer type of a thing for, for better weather that we can go in and, uh, do some we can kill some more nazis guys uh god willing we have a plan so uh the weather works out the chaplain gets awarded uh what was it a a a bronze star for a prayer that worked out yeah sure something pretty wild on that but he gets an award for controlling the weather so we can do it we need to do it again if Uh, if i remember the because you have two bronze stars you have one for valor and then one that's like hey great job in being admin um (laughs) (laughs) my grandfather did not get that one i assure you one with the v device yeah yeah Yeah. and and i I think the chaplain got the one without the v so would make sense to me yeah my grandpa had to take out a pillbox by himself in order to get his so it was a it's pretty wild. We have the newspaper clipping from that one still. It's uh, my, my it's favorite It's pretty comparable, man. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> control the clouds, take out a pillbox. Right. Uh, dodge yeah. and raindrops, dodge yeah. and machine gun. Uh, bronze Star for Marty Boyajan for taking down a German pillbox by himself. And uh, for you, the 10-day AccuWeather forecast. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was great of you. Um, now, we do have to wrap up here. I know we kept you late, Cajones, um, but I'm, I'm very happy we got this, this one uh, done the correct way. Um, you talk to me one time early because there's no part of this that makes him sound like a loser really right essentially he is the hero of I world mean, war just, ii in a lot of just ways some idiotic mistakes plastered here and there oh yeah like, he's, that well, just sounds human he's got a he's got a good one we got to cover real quick um and i do mean real quick um because we have to also cover his uh his death which uh for a guy who wanted to die on the field of battle not quite what he got um he has uh, an incident um First of all, it's a, he is the hero of World War II in a lot of ways. He is one of our best generals. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of mystique about him. You guys are both right on that. However, if you were just going through the cliff notes, this is a major character. You know, okay. so um, Hitler is uh, kind of uh, moving on to full retreat. There's the uh, there's fear that he might actually uh, be already dead and is ruling from beyond the grave. That was a legit concern that some people had. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, because of what's going on in Russia, they're just destroying and decimating the remains of the Nazi army over there. So now you're on, you're moving into Germany. And I thought this was so cool. First of all, um, Patton uh, pisses in the Rhine River <laughs> to announce his arrival kind of a thing. He goes, uh, honey, I'm home. Uh, so he's, uh, it's all happening the way we want it to. He's uh, considered a hero for the Battle of the Bulge. Everything's kind of going our way. The war is wrapping up. The idea that these guys might get home to their families eventually is pretty predominant. So, uh, now, Germany is now, or Hitler is now fighting a a war on many fronts. He's got the Russians coming in from one side. He's got the allies, the British and the Americans coming in from the other side. Well, now it's a race to see who's going to get to him first. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And And, and then the whole politics of of war come into play too as to um you can't allow um one side to make bigger gains 
against the other type of a thing because we're, we're allies. We're all going to come into the into Berlin together. Uh, this is where Grandpa gave me all that cool Nazi art he brought home. <laughs> there you go. There you, go. I mean, you, you also have uh, another um, front on, on the Italian side. So they're being pressed on, on all sides. Um, plus, one of the, from, plus, from, plus from up north because now Norway and Finland and all the Scandinavian Viking countries were freed. And they're skiing. Uh, they're shooting as they're skiing. I thought that was worth noting, yeah, too. Yeah, yes, literally. Um, um, but that was another, I mean, Patton is making unbelievable gains in the field. He's recapturing or liberating vast amounts of, of uh, French territory, um, capturing, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, German troops. Um, He's he's really doing a remarkable job, but but then his attack and he's all about attack. He was always attack, attack, attack. Even some of those spe- blood and gut speeches that you know I don't want anybody telling me that they're holding their position. We don't hold our position. We just keep going forward. Let the Germans try to hold shit. We're, Almost we're, a blitzkrieg in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then uh, he comes into odds with uh, other military allies. Um, because uh, gasoline and, and um, resources and stuff are being held back from Patton because, like, wait a minute, George, slow down. You're getting ahead of everybody else. We yeah, have to do this. Yeah, he was about five days ahead of the supply lines. <laughs> right. Yeah. Five days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of a thing. that it, There was no stop and rest. It's just keep going forward, keep going forward. And yeah. uh, they had to actually physically hold him up by, by holding back, uh, you know, gasoline and, and resources you ever walk a dog that's um, a little too aggressive on the leash yeah. and the dog's pulling you i kind of just that to me is how this all worked for them that's yeah. pen just pulling everybody for what's over that hill there's a squirrel 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 <laughs> yeah. so, and, and this goes back to what i was talking about with poncho is the same thing Patton kept saying like hey do you want the war over if so give me what i want like he, he, he that made was good on a lot of these promises. That was too. a literal letter that he wrote to Eisenhower. He's like, "How long do you want to be in Germany, or we can go ahead and go into Poland?" No shit. It's, yeah. Now Eisenhower was pretty fond of him. Omar Bradley was annoyed with him a lot. I thought was so. Worth, was Marshall? Yeah, that's well. A lot so. of people get picked because he's he's the best. But he's um he wasn't in command. But he he <laughs> he wasn't in command overall. But he definitely kind of yeah. you know threw his uh, his weight around a little bit. He has an incident. I just have to mention. Um, it is the Hamelberg incident. Okay, are you familiar with this one? I might be. Yeah, it was the, the Hamelberg raid. So it was a, a oh the POW camp. Yes. Yeah. So Offlog. Uh, 12-B. It's a, <laughs> that's the problem with Mac. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, it was so, Task Force Bomb. Yeah, Task Force Bomb. So that gets launched. Uh, now, this is his greatest fuck-up. Oh, ever. God, yes. And it, it did not get widely reported on because uh, uh, something happened. You ever happen, um, you know that, that the term kahuna when they talk about uh, it must be a slow news day kind of a thing? Yeah. So what you need is you need like the next big thing to happen. Whenever if you're the target of the newspapers, you need the next big story to break right away so that they just completely forget about you. So this incident in which um, Patton's son-in-law is uh, being held in a German POW camp. So he sends, I think it's like 300 men get sent over in order to liberate this camp. Now, by the way, the war is ending. It's all starting to wrap up. It's winding down. Yeah. So the idea is, is that um, he's going to be able to get his son-in-law back eventually. You know, the Germans are not, um, you know, in terms of the, the, it's always weird because you have to, 
I like to refer to them as the German troops and not the Nazis because the Nazis, there's a special place in hell for that whole SS, you know, Third Reich stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at this point, who you're facing in Germany is every able-bodied male. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are guys literally defending the Vaterland. It's not like... Yep, you're here. Yeah, it's yeah. Just not, yeah. Yeah. Is, if someone invaded Jersey land. and Jersey's got sure. some weird ideas, yeah. I'm still going to be annoyed you're in Jersey. You're, so. you're facing the regular infantry at this point. You're not fighting the SS or the paratroopers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's a, no, good, solid point. I and, appreciate and it. As you said, any able-bodied man, like you were talking from 16 to 60, uh, you're you're being put on the line. Yeah. So uh, for Hamelberg now, he uh, sends these guys over there, and uh, they have a successful mission at first. They're actually able to liberate um, uh, a bunch of the guys. They get captured during the escape, okay? Yep. And uh, almost all of the guys who are sent get just butchered in the, uh, the, the capture, if you will. Um, a lot of them winding up as captives in the POW camp as well. Now, I think what it is, it's a complete failure, the operation, and yep. it was viewed as a, it, it was poorly planned out, and they thought it was a vanity project for Patton that he wanted to be able to point out. He goes, I saved my own son-in-law kind of yep. a thing. So. Which another interesting note is they did not know it was his son-in-law until that operation. Ah, oh, Christ. And it's then a- that's how they found out. Oh, so this guy's a little valuable. Um, yeah. He winds up getting out, by the way, I think just released on his own, like a couple, like maybe a week or two later. Yep. Kind of. So, uh, yeah, we just uh, butchered a lot of those guys, man. So going back to what Lynette said, it's um, uh, his guts are blood. That's the line with all Patton. Um, that is considered an abject failure. Luckily, does not get widely reported on the news because they're looking for stuff. The press doesn't like him. Uh, and they finally go after uh, – they, they think they finally have a chance to go after him. And then fucking FDR dies. And you got to cover the dead president now. Yeah. 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 Hoof, That's how uh, he escapes the, the – That yeah. trumps the front page. Kind of a good deal. Uh, FDR, solid guy, man. Took a bullet for our boy Patton. Um, <laughs> so, again, uh, FDR was a big fan of his. You know who yeah. fucking hated him? Truman. Oh, God, yeah. Truman yeah. hated Patton. Uh, but isn't it weird that – Jersey. The, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the worst part, too, is that um, this is what I always – but it, it's around this time frame you start getting fawning coverage of Patton from the Nazis. From, I'm not, let's let's drop the term Nazi. Uh, from the German side. Yep. Uh, they're giving almost fawning like this guy Patton. We lost, but man, did we lose to a good guy. Um, yeah. This guy's pretty solid. And what that'll doing. come back later. Mm-hmm. And uh, as again, as we're – as the longest dismount we've ever had on this podcast, um, he's just too interesting of a guy. You can't skim over anything. But uh, – He's getting fawning press coverage here, and then the president's like, "This guy's a fucking dick. I can't stand this guy." Omar Bradley's like, "Yeah, he's kind of a dick," you know. And then you know, there's Eisenhower's still a fan of him, but he's like, "Who's he, you guys? Don't know. He can be an asshole, but like, you know, it's kind of like his thing, you know. It's just what he does." Um, he, he's the best guy on game day, but he's not. Uh, oh yeah, not the locker room uh, camaraderie guy. No, and uh, now as we're wrapping up here, the uh, the war's pretty much over. There's uh, there's an occupation now in Germany where uh, we're doing this turnover, and uh, keep going. Uh, one thing before we end the war, I actually went and looked up numbers. So Patton's losses for the entire war, he uh, twenty one hundred guys killed, seventy nine hundred wounded in action. That's less than we have in Iraq and Afghanistan. No shit. Uh, he his troops are. Uh, are given credit for over twenty thousand German uh, um, a- German allies or the Axis powers uh, killed in action, and over forty five thousand captured. Well, uh, pretty good this. return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. was the line that um, Patton had uh, in the parade in Los Angeles, LP? Do you remember that? 
No, I'm sorry. It's a uh, pretty much he was talking about how he can't pronounce half the towns he's in yeah. control oh, of yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. It's a <laughs> I can't I can't pronounce the names of the towns in France and Germany that we captured, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so All right, they're they're behind us now. They're, uh, they have this big parade. It's uh, Patton and Doolittle get honored in L.A. Uh, on June 9th. June 10th, he addresses a crowd of 100,000 civilians in Burbank, which I yeah. thought was pretty cool. That's, you guys ever play a crowd that big? No. No. We just, we got to get Not Patton. Yet. <laughs> Not yet. Can I add up all everybody and then put the total? Yeah. <laughs> That's a, so a thousand? It's still no. That's a, I got 10 here. There was 15 that night. There were three in the laundromat. So do they count? <laughs> well, it's not fair because Patton, most of these were bringers. Um, so. <laughs> So uh, now September 20th. So here you go. June 10th. This is a, a real quick spin here. Uh, it's called. You ever have a good summer, Kahuna? Yeah. No, it's a. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't remember it. Yeah, but sure. This is this is a good summer that ended abruptly. June 10th, Patton's addressing a crowd of 100,000 civilians in Burbank getting just lauded. This is the guy. This is the guy right here. September 22nd. Taken out of context, Patton's careless comparison of Nazi Party members in Germany to Democratic or Republican Party members in the United States stirs <laughs> up a shitload of controversy. OK, so yeah. um, and then Patton quoted Green Day. Just wake me up when September ends, man. Uh, um October 2nd, Patton is now relieved. I feel like you were very proud of that That's, joke. No, yeah. no, popped in there at the last second. I, like, I got to keep a little levity here, man. We're trying to, we're about to come under fire for this one. Friggin', you know, Paladino's got spots to do. James Mack has, uh, I don't know what you have to do tonight, buddy. You just told me your show's canceled, so. Yeah, I'm going to go hit up Mike's for That's, the rest of the day. <laughs> I, ha I have a bit that Jersey is like Mike's? burning my brain. It's just one of those where I'm like, I know this thing is going to be awesome once I can get it. <laughs> um, I had a line last night at the, the Belmar Beach House Brewery that, uh, I was talking about the crowd and how they were actually pretty good. And I said, it's nervous. You get nervous doing uh, beer houses or beer halls, if you yeah. will, because, um, you know, Hitler came to power and uh, the beer hall pooch it's known as. Yeah. It's so uh, it could have gone that way. Instead, they just had a good time. They were a good crowd. If they yeah. got a little too rowdy, though, <laughs> right. fourth Reich, baby, it's yeah. happened. <laughs> Changes from a comedy show to a rally. It's so. true. <laughs> yeah. um, now, uh, it, again, there is a, he has a little sympathy. And like you said, Lynette, too, it's for the people of Germany. Yeah. He's not apologetic of the Nazis because it's really I don't know if you guys know much about them. They're not really sympathetic people. Um, <laughs> the uh, the only advantage would have been if I was a member of uh, the Third Reich. Um, uh, I, because I have blonde hair and blue eyes, I uh, yeah. I, I once said it's like you, you guys look like you guys know if you don't know what I look like, um, I don't look like something that you would ever consider the master race. Yeah. <laughs> All right, kind of uh, my head's too big for my body. I'm a little fat in the middle. It's uh it's not good. But for some reason, that was the chosen archetype of the uh, the SS, the, the true evil people in the whole party here. Yeah. I like how you just went through your physical description and no one at this table was like, stop, KP. That's <laughs> <laughs> really, no, actually, that's, that's what he was fishing. That's accurate. Yeah, I've heard it before. Though. I got it. He was trying. It's just, we've heard it so many times before. We're just like, you know what? If you're going to believe it, you just believe it. It's, Go for uh, it. <laughs> Well, I have a I have a, a joke about that, but uh, well, I have no shame talking in front of my father, but I, I do have a joke about uh, uh, you know what I look like is a um, a quality analogy or metaphor for uh, an appendage of mine. So. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that Patton I thought was said was really cool because whenever they uh, they're finishing up, and I don't know if you were going to go into this about how before the war was over, he was like, "Hey, we have everybody. Let's go to Russia right now." Oh yeah, he was. Wanted, and, he wanted in on Japan too. And that was that was the well, going back to what i was talking about Pontrevia and everything else he's like hey i'm made for war we have everything let me go ahead and get rid of the russians right, right now and we're done with this and eisenhower and marshall and bradley were like 
and Nimitz too were even like, no, 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 you're done playing. Like we we're tired of war. Right. So well, because when uh, it was another forecast that you know yeah. we're going to have problems with the Japanese, the the Germans yeah. are going to have a counterattack. We're going to have a problem with the Russians too. That yeah, let's do it now and get it over with rather than coming back five years from now. And yeah. lo and behold, you know we went into the into the Cold War post yeah. uh, World War Two. So because yeah. he was saying like at least let let us push them back into Russia. Would have been get, nice. Yeah, and get them out of Poland and everywhere rather, else. Rather than the Soviet bloc that we faced uh, yeah. with the Cold War. Well, imagine you're almost coming home from deployment, Lynette, and uh, you're thinking it's just about time. And then they say, hey, do you guys want to just do this again? Uh, that's kind of yeah. what's going on. I believe Patton's response was uh, when he found out about the war ending with uh, Japan. He just goes, come on, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> a direct quote. Come on. <laughs> so like a toddler throwing a tantrum. But uh, he uh, now goes back over to um, he gets relieved for statements that he made about these uh, former Nazi press members in October. Um, so he's relieved of command over in uh, uh, Germany, if you will. Yep. And uh, he decides he's actually going to go out um, – I believe it's uh, um, one of his second in commands takes me to do. Let's go pheasant hunting. All yep. right. Now pheasant hunting very dangerous. Uh, you know what else is dangerous? Getting hit by trucks. So <laughs> the badass field uh, commander, the uh, the man who wanted to die on the battlefield with his men and live, you know, Falling captain forward while he's still firing yeah, his pistols. Captain badass himself. How'd he go? Gets hit by a fucking truck. Well. That's not exactly right. So don't ruin the joke, James. <laughs> <laughs> it was he was in a vehicle that got hit by mm-hmm. a truck. Yeah, it and got the person driving the other vehicle was a soldier that was drunk and celebrating. Um, and, and hit him, hit him, LP. Here's our Jersey connection. <laughs> Did. Did Jersey kill him? The truck driver is a 20-year-old Robert L. Thompson from our own Camden, yeah. New Jersey. <laughs> really? Camden, <laughs> Jersey? You can't kill them? <laughs> yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there was a uh, – for the longest time, it was they thought it was a conspiracy. They thought, yes, like, maybe the Russians – Bill had... O'Reilly wrote a whole book on killing yeah. Patton yeah. where he believes yeah. that – uh, the government took him out because he knew too much. And they were saying that, or Bill O'Reilly points out that Patton lived for 11 days after yep. the car accident. And now at that point, he's a paraplegic. He's he's completely yep. paralyzed. Um, but they were saying that he was joking and taking shots with the nurses in the hospital. And then suddenly he dies. So if you're Bill O'Reilly, you believe that Patton was assassinated right uh and if you're of one of bill o'reilly's followers there is a huge contingent of people that believe trump is the reincarnation of Patton. <laughs> i could and, see that, that cons- had twitter that's uh, <laughs> the whole conspiracy thing with with Patton's uh death too um it seems that that it was always driven by either a book that was just coming out or a movie that was just coming out type of a thing that that's where all yeah. of that thing really started to get you know played up big time and uh, they do it with Davy Crockett too they always change what what part of the, the Alamo he died and was he killed afterwards now the, the, the next time they make part, another movie it's like was Davy Crockett a woman of color the, <laughs> the part of the Alamo have you been there there's not parts it's like a shed on the middle of a dirt lot well my buddy lost his bike in the basement <laughs> over there uh, um, it's just a great joke nobody but, appreciates <laughs> I actually have a tie-in to uh, Pat. So uh, he was put at Heidelberg Hospital, mm-hmm. um, and uh, when um, 
I was uh, stationed in Darmstadt, but was in Heidelberg after September 11th happened, and uh, my appendix ruptured while we were doing guard duty. So, and our uh, patrol around Heidelberg, making sure bad guys don't get near the generals and stuff, um, got put in Heidelberg Hospital. And after my appendix was removed, the room I was in was right next door to Patton's room where he where he died. And there's a plaque, and it's all shut off and everything. No shit. Yeah. Dude, that's wild. Yeah. So you don't have an appendix? No. (laughs) (laughs) And if you can tell me what it's for, I'll I'll show you the scar. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's it's still there's a plaque on it said this is where you know General Patton passed. Dude, that's fucking cool, man. Yeah, and the doctors Um, who worked on him and everything. But that's also part of the conspiracy is that um, nobody knows, but he was buried in Belgium. um, Yeah. And. Go ahead. So I'm the sorry. conspiracy theorists would have you believe like there was no autopsy done. They didn't bring his body back, that they were just trying to cover it up. He was buried so quickly with no fanfare almost. Mm. Right. Um, At the same which, time, it was Patton's exactly request to be buried with the with the guys that lost their lives under his command yep. at, the, at the Battle of the Bulge. Right. Yep. Um, and there was a whole part of that conspiracy thing is that his driver was in on it. Um well, that the same driver that was driving the uh, the vehicle at the time drove for him for the last three years. So, I mean, <laughs> why would the guy wait until after the war is over to, to take Patton out? And in, when Patton is rushed to the hospital, he dies 11 days later. Yep. In that in-between time, the, the wife, um, what was her name? Uh, Beatrice. Beatrice. Beatrice <laughs> Patton. And some uh, big-time uh, surgeon from the States are flown over to Germany to attend to him. Uh, who picks them up at the airport but the but Patton's own driver, the guy that was involved in the accident? So, I mean, why would why would Patton send his, his driver to pick up his wife if there was any suspicion that it was yeah. his driver that got him into the accident in the first place? Well, there, I, there's the truck have... driver, the truck driver... Are... This is the type of revisionist history I hate because yeah. then in like a hundred years, people will be like, was there really a Holocaust? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they were doing that in 45. Yeah. Um, another conspiracy theory about that was that his wife actually had him killed. Um, because uh, Patton that had, I believe more. Patton, well, <laughs> no, Patton had. I know anything about women; they do it themselves. It's, Patton had an affair, um, supposedly, with his 21-year-old stepniece or niece-in-law, whatever it is. So his wife's niece. Yeah, but who hasn't been there, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> oh, how Petraeus of him! Oh, <laughs> I, I deserve. Or, excuse me. I hope Petraeus the listeners was just following Patton. <laughs> I hope the listeners appreciate that. That was a solid burn. <laughs> that was nice. Um, so we got to wrap up, unfortunately. So. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to hit as uh, we're wrapping? Because this, this is one of my favorite topics we've ever talked about. Did and you I tend want me to, to do the warrant story again? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm going to ask to end on that because okay. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to can the first week's audio. I'm going to okay. apologize to the listeners or whatever. So, guys, if you listen to the first episode of this uh I don't know how you did it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was rough. We got uh, the master behind the ones and twos bailing us out here. Cahoons, thank you so much for the overtime today, buddy. Always I appreciate there. you. I'll take care of you in the parking lot on the way out. You can either take cash or a uh, tug. You tell me what you want to do. <laughs> you right. know what I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, talk about that as well. Three it's, tickets uh, to the Muppet Show. <laughs> there you go. I, I will say for my part, the this is where... The, what Patton was involved with in World War II is where I really s- 
as an intel officer and knowing the maximum effective range of tanks and what their their ability now we've got tanks that can move and shoot at the same time with accuracy and just it that's where you really see the rapid response of what's happening on the battlefield make its way into what machinery we're using on the battlefield and so that's I, cool it's it's a lot of i the whole tank situation on this is a lot of fun. Well, LP and I are outclassed on this episode. I will say that. The, the guests are Absolutely. better than the hosts at this current juncture. <laughs> um, no, some definitely cool shit on that. I'm going to toss to Mac here in a second. LP, you have anything you want to take us out on? No, that's, uh, that was pretty much it. I mean, just to uh, piggyback on to what um, Lynette just said, that what the, the Americans were first going in with uh, um, the Sherman tanks that were certainly yeah. outclassed by what Germany was uh, putting up against them. That, right. uh, well, even at the end, the Tigers and the Panzers were still better than anything we were bringing to sure. the table. We were just too late for the fight at that Helps that particular when Porsche point. is making your tanks for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's a wild thing with all that, man. Uh, now, this was one of our longest episodes, right, Cajones? Two hours, six minutes. Okay. Ouch. But we're going to get out of here. And we're, you know what it is? It makes up for the, the, the week before, and I'm, I'm happy with it, and I appreciate all you guys staying here. Um and uh, again, I love doing the show here to share the universe. It's not convenient for a lot of people, but I just like the vibe you guys are building here. Mike and Ming have always taken great care of me. Um, guys, if you like the show, we love doing it. Uh, we got some really cool shit we're working on that's going to um, – it, it might affect our ability to do future episodes. We'll see. But it's all for – it's all in – these are all positives. These are good things we're talking about here. So I can't leak the info just yet. But uh, if every week when uh, we put something out for you guys, I love the response we get. If you can leave me a uh, written review on iTunes, that really helps grow the show. Because a lot of our listeners of people I don't know that I haven't performed for in front of comedy, uh, you know, crowds or anything like that, uh, they will find out about the show because they will search one of our topics. And if we have enough reviews, that pushes us up in the, you know, the, the search results. So a very nice uh, group of people that wanted to learn about the Molly Maguires searched the Molly Maguires, and our show came up because you guys kick ass and you left us written reviews. Now, if you've already left us a review, just like the stars or whatever, I really appreciate that. Whatever girl I didn't call back that left us a two-star review, I'm sorry, all right? <laughs> Trust me, you're not missing out on much. Um, but... Uh, yeah, uh, if, if you can leave us a written review, that helps tremendously. You guys have no idea. That's how we're growing the show for right now. I don't want to charge people for the show. Uh, I want to keep this moving as uh, smoothly as possible. So that being said, check us out. we got an American Loser podcast on Instagram. Uh, Lynette Paldino, very, very funny comic. Uh, where can people see you? I know you're always over at the Grizzly Pair, but do you have anything else coming up? This is going to come out on Tuesday. Oh, uh Next week, I am at the Ramsey Movie Theater on Saturday, November 23rd. Uh, all week long before that, I am at the Grizzly Pair. And then, yeah, I'm pretty much at the Grizzly Pair all the way through Thanksgiving. Not bad. That's a solid. I, I got to be in there. I haven't been in there since they redid everything. It's beautiful. Cool. It used to be um, used a shithole. <laughs> well said. Well said. Very diplomatic. Of you. I, I wasn't going to say that. That's but a, you're, in with, you're in with them. I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm. But prior to the current management, it was. And uh, not, so not quite five star. No. No. And uh, so it's me. Uh, Twitter is KP Burke sucks. Instagram KP Burke sucks. Uh, check me out there. I'm having more fun on Facebook. That's where I write most of my dumb jokes. It's where we plug a lot of this stuff too. Uh, James Mack, where can they people find you? Um, just do a search for Headspace and Timing Comedy. I have a website and all my dates go up there. Um, I just found out yesterday that I've been selected to go back home and be part of the funniest uh, comic in Texas uh, competition. 
I was waiting for you to say I've been selected to go back home uh, at the request of several New York comedy clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some producers, but uh, no, that's cool, dude. So I, I saw it on your um, Facebook today. It's what yeah. the funniest comic in Texas. You're correct. Do? So uh, everybody who's who's won that has gone on to at least get a uh, Comedy Central half hour including one of my favorite comics, which is Raul Sanchez, who I've got to work with a few times. I feel like I know Raul. Um, Always wears a Texas Rangers hat. Yeah, I died. Little short, skinny Mexican dude. (laughs) Yeah, I was in, um, we did a show together in uh, Long Island at some like theater, but it was a theater in the round. That's a trippy thing to try to do dick jokes. And you're like, does the back of the crowd know that I'm making a jerking off motion? (laughs) My comedy's high integrity. He's had the best set I've ever seen. He did 35 minutes and every four seconds they were, he was getting hard laughs. I watched two people pee on themselves because they didn't want to get up and go use the bathroom. He was hitting so hard. (laughs) Well, that's the only reason we're ending this podcast. Uh, So, um, no, that's awesome, man. I'm excited for you. So, uh, and then uh, social media, did you guys plug those? Um, yeah. Uh, um, James Mack, M-A-C, on Facebook, um, or uh, Headspace and Timing Comedy on Facebook or on uh, uh, Instagram. I don't play with Twitter anymore. So I don't blame you. Yeah, after you lost SNL. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into him Friday night, too. Nice guy. I like you. Uh, I love Shane. Yeah. Yeah. I am uh, Lynette Palladino on Facebook. I am Lynette underscore Palladino on Instagram and fuck Twitter because I can't use my full name because it's too long. So I'm Lynn Jesus. Palladino on Twitter. Fair enough. Um, and then my father, if you guys want to check him out, he is a, a cool history dad at uh, geocities.com. <laughs> um, oh, no. Thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate that. I'm going to throw to Mac here. we got two weird stories we've got to exit on. Uh, but this, I, I really am grateful for you guys. I'm very, 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 very <laughs> grateful. So, um, right. Mac, hit us with the two weird stories. Uh, which one do you want first, or do you care? Let's talk about the uh, state of Alabama having an open warrant out for Patton. Okay. Um, so, in 19... 19- 1941, uh, Patton was stationed at the Armor School at Fort Benning, Georgia, and he was also the chief of staff for the post. That basically means... Hang on one second. Lynette, what do you have to say about the matter? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she got, to go. she got up to go to the bed. She was so polite and quiet. I was like, I have to fuck with her. <laughs> the look so on her face. <laughs> she was like, I carry a knife. You have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Don't make the Puerto Rican girl mad. Yeah, um, exactly. So but uh, continue, so sir, I'm sorry. he was the chief of staff of the post. Basically, he's like the mayor of the post for the commanding general. Um, when they get notified that hey, you're get you get to go to war, um, the night before, uh, his driver and his aide had been out drinking in a lovely Phoenix City, Alabama, which is right across. It's this little bridge that connects Columbus, Georgia, and Alabama. Um, and there, it was notorious at the time. You had the what was called the Dixie Brigades, which were basically um, the sheriffs, the highway patrol, and everything that were um, members of the Klan. And they also didn't like the soldiers because, of course, the military at that time was pretty much like, hey, if you're on post, you get treated like a human being regardless of what color and creed and everything else. And they didn't like that. So, um, But they also knew soldiers had money, so they would kill them and dump them into the river. What? Yeah, there's a river that separates Georgia and Alabama there, and they would kill them, take their money, and dump them into the river. Or if you uh, – um, they would just arrest you for no reason. Well, Patton uh, called over to the sheriff and was like, hey, 
I need my guys. Uh, if they make it back alive, I'll. You can have them, and they can finish out their sentence. And the sheriff, not realizing who he was talking to, told him to, you know, uh, yeah, you can kiss, you know, kiss my ass. I don't care. And Patton's like, okay, that's cool, because at this time, Patton was also doing um, national or not national, but in the southeast, he was taking the tanks around to different towns to put on demonstrations. So he calls up two of his other drivers gets two tanks, loads them up with live ammunition, goes over to the sheriff's department, points the main gun, the big gun at the guy's building and says, look, you can either give me my guys or lose your sheriff's department. Which one do you want? And the sheriff's like, fine, you can have your guys. And he took a warrant out for Patton, which is uh, still still hanging in the uh, infantry museum at Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, and it's still an active warrant because the death certificate has never been given to the state of Alabama to remove the warrant. I hope they get them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure you, you can uh, pull somebody back from Belgium. I don't think that's a non-extradition company, country. But, um, but yeah, that one. The other uh, one you have is this one's the weird leave, one. Leave no man, no man left behind. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Not leaving them in the sheriff's office uh, or the yeah. sheriff's jail cell. Yeah, and, and when I went through uh, one of the schools you go to to get promoted as enlisted is, is called BNOC, uh, and it's to make E6. Um, and whenever you go through it, they tell you this story beforehand, and you're like, whatever, man. And then you have to go into the Infantry Hall of Fame, or uh, Infantry Museum, which does include the Infantry Hall of Fame, which he's in. Um, and then they show you the warrant, and you get to read it, and you're like, you got to be – wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I wonder um, if there's pictures of this. That would be the funniest of the thing. Warrant? To, no, not the warrant. The 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 event. <laughs> um, either he, either you. Uh, what what did he say again when he was well, aiming the the uh, gun at the either building? Either I get my guys, or you lose your sheriff's department. So, is <laughs> the way it was. It, that's the quotations that. on the warrant. And then what was this one made my head spin a little bit? Um, so one of the other things is is you know uh, Patton and Rommel who they had a tremendous affection for each other. As a matter of fact, uh, after the war, Patton even. Um, um, or w- after things started settling down, because Rommel died before the war. Now that was actually a conspiracy that took him out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was there was a lot of stuff that they didn't want a quote unquote disgraced field marshal in the the uh, senior regime. So, which he was considered disgraced because he lost a patent in the desert. So, um, so Patton and Rommel actually did send you know correspondence back. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is Patton's son was also a general uh, eventually uh, in the U.S. Army. He ended up retiring as a two-star, uh, if I remember right. Yes. Uh, uh, but him and uh, Rommel's son were born on the exact same day, five years apart. So Rommel's son was born uh, December 24th, 1923, and Patton's son was born on December 24th, 1928. Um, here's the better part. So Patton's uh, son was the commanding general for one of the divisions in Stuttgart, Germany. Rommel was the mayor of Stuttgart at that time, <laughs> or uh, his son, and they became best friends and ended up like, you know, uh, became, being friends for life. I feel like that must have started like, yeah, so your father is kind of an asshole. Yeah, heard the same about yours. <laughs> yeah, and, and you truly don't know who started that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
No, it's just wild, man. I love the weird, bizarre stories from history. So the loser factor on this one is that he died in a car accident, not on the field of battle. But how do you skim over anything on this guy? I just didn't think we could do it. So, again, thank you so much for the killer research. Both of you guys did super knowledgeable. Um, please come back on the show anytime. I would love never, to have you guys back. Never again. Yeah, you're done after this one. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to discuss what bookings you get me for uh, after this. Also and, true. Yeah. Hey, man, if you want to play Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club, you let me know how to do it because I think I'm out over there. Um, <laughs> but that being said, guys, uh, this was awesome. Mike and Mink, thank you for the, the overtime. That's one Cahoons. I'll take care of you in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, LP, I love you, dude. Yeah, all right. All right Thanks for this one. Uh, guys, uh, that was American LP, Loser. I also love you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I you. Oh, Jackie Burns mad right now. Uh, guys, that was that was General Patton, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born.